Hi, everybody, and welcome to Completely Beatles. I am Ian Boothby. And I'm David Ditter. And you might know us from the Sneaky Dragon podcast. What's that you say you don't? Well, why don't you listen to the Sneaky Dragon podcast as well? Then you'll know us from that as well. Anyway, moving on. That was our Sneaky Dragon uh, plug. We, we, we told each other we're going to make sure we get the plug for our other podcast done off the top so we can move on with our lives. Um, today's show, we'll have uh, two singles. We'll have one single, but will have an A-side and a B-side. So technically, that's two songs. Am I getting my math right so far, Dave? You're pretty close. I ha- there's like kind of an exciting p- part to this. A little twist. A curve I'm going to throw you in a bit. So, okay. Yeah. A Chubby Checker-style twist will be coming. That's right. Okay, sounds good. And uh, and uh, we're also going to be uh, looking at track by track the album Rubber Soul, which, as far as I know, is the only Beatles album that is also a pun. Yes. In what way? In that Rubber Soul. Okay. In that it's a like as in a shoe, Rubber oh, Soul, Rubber okay. Soul shoe, but it's S O U L. Okay. And that's a that's a play on words. I'm assuming it's a play on words. Am I right? That's on? not quite what they were referring to. Oh, it's why don't you hit me with it? That. Hit me with it. Okay, well, uh, want, well, I guess we'll talk about when the I album. When I hear rubber soul, mm-hmm. where, where, where else bef- before this would you have heard the term, hey, Dave, look, there's a rubber soul. You would expect to see a shoe attached to that, would yeah. you not? Yeah. All right, then what would you... I don't know. Well, at that time, because when it came out, then the, the title was kind of mysterious, and they never really explained it. But what it came from, uh, in actually, when you read the Mark Lewis on book, uh, the complete uh, Beatles recording sessions, the Abbey Road book, he says in there that there's... Well, the Beatles were recording I'm Down. Paul McCartney kept saying Plastic Soul Man, Plastic Soul, which was, he said, a reference that to uh, what black musicians called Mick Jagger. They called said Plastic Soul. So he didn't have real soul because he was, you know, a middle class white boy from England. So right. it was Plastic Soul. And so Rubber Soul was kind of a play on that idea. Okay, it was a play on that idea. Mm-hmm. But the term Rubber Soul means something in our language and did before that. I don't know if it, I don't know if it did. You don't think Rubber Soul uh, meant to uh, play to, on Rubber Soul like uh, Rubber Soul Shoes and then Rubber Soul S-O-U-L? I've never heard that connection before. Yeah. So okay. Thank Seem, you for making it. All right. Seems uh, fairly obvious to me, but that's that's my job. My job, by the way, if you've never <laughs> listened to the show before, uh, Dave is more of the hardcore Beatles fan. Yeah. I am the casual listener. Mm-hmm. I kind of go over the lyrics and uh, and say, this is what I think is going on. Dave corrects me <laughs> and uh, lather, rinse, repeat for the album. So do you want to start this with our- This is one chewy fish. Okay, I, uh, I don't know what that means. Rubber sole. Oh, very good. Yeah. All right. Nice. I, I've never heard that one before. Okay. <laughs> the only uh, the only other ones I can think are somewhat uh, dirty, and this is a clean podcast, so we're not going to go with those jokes. Um, now, are we going to go with the single first, Dave? Because Dave likes to go chronologically, and I never know what is chronological. So, is it going to be single first, or are we going album first? Well, this is this is kind of it's your choice. Which way would you like to go? What? Would you like to go album first or single first? You uh, choose. Let's. Uh, you know what? It's traditionally, we usually go album first, then we get to that little single as a little dessert. Okay. Uh, palate cleanser at the end. Let's do that. So we'll start off with the album. Okay. And the album, once again, Rubber Soul, Rubber Soul. which I think is a play on words, and David <laughs> thinks is a reference to Mick Jagger, sure. which is uh, fair enough either way. So first song, uh, well, here's a, here's a question I have. Uh, this is one of the only Beatles uh, albums that does not have that does not have a title that is also a song. Because please please me, mm-hmm. that uh, you help. Yeah, there you go. Beatles for sale didn't have a song called That's Beatles true. for sale. That's true. Yeah, uh, but uh, do more with the Beatles didn't have 
What's that? With the Beatles didn't have a song. So really, it's oh, only right. been it's only been the soundtrack albums that fell under that. So Help and A Hard Day's Night because they were selling the album. Right, and there's no song called Revolver. There's no song called Revolver. Yeah. Uh, there is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Sort of, yeah. Wait, you don't think there is a song called Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Is it Heart called Club that? Band? Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, yeah. I All think right. I was thinking of it being shorter than that, but you could be right. Okay, fair yeah. enough. So it's, it's there's no song it, called the, there's no song called The Beatles. It seems like ha- half and half. There is a song called Let It Be. Uh huh. It is pretty much half and half. Yeah. Okay. You're right. There's no song called Abbey Road. There is. All right. We all agree. There's no song called that we know of. That we know of. Perhaps these are the hidden songs <laughs> that we will find out about one day. All right. We're uh, putting on the album. I'm a young lady. I am in the 60s. I'm excited. What the new Beatles hear? album yeah. has come on. I've put it on. I've uh, put the little uh, needle on the record. It's gone. Well, let's let's give it some context before we go into the actual song. All right, songs. let me take the album take off. The, take it off. Let take, it take it off. Let me put it back in the sleeve because my uh, brother with his little sticky fingers might get <laughs> fingers all over it. We don't want any of that. I'm sorry, guys. Set. I was I was leading you into this without any context. Mm-hmm. I cannot... I, I can't apologize more. Please, David, <laughs> well, context. I think because there's there's a little always going to be some history behind each album, and so I think just to talk about it as song by song, without knowing the kind of overarching something that was going on behind Dave, it. Dave, give think, us the golden arches. So, okay, well, I think one of the important things to think with, with this album is it was the second album the Beatles were expected to l- deliver for 1965. So for the third year running, Beatles were doing their album a year. This is their sixth album. Uh, this sixth British album. Obviously, in America, this was their 100th album because they'd been stretched out by putting two songs per album. But um, so the problem for them was that not only were they exhausted, but they had very little material to work with. Now, were they still performing live at this They were point? still performing live. They had maybe one usable song that was left over from, uh, from earlier sessions. And um, they really had to force themselves to work in this album. Now, let me ask you one quick question on this uh, just overall. Is are there a bunch of covers on this album, or is this all uh, this is, them? This is all original. It's is, all this them. The, is this the first album they've done that's no, all it's original? Not. What was the first? Hard, a Hard Day's Night was their first all all Beatles album. Okay, and just partly because John Lennon was in a like absolute purple period where he was just writing like crazy, and partly just the nature of how the album was recorded, in that they recorded a whole bunch of songs for side one for the for the movie, mm-hmm. and then they went on tour, and then they had some time to do the other side. And so that gave them some time to build up songs. And also, they we, I talked about before, but they had that long uh, stint in Paris where they were playing at the the Paris Olympique, the Olymp Theater, <laughs> the Olympia Theater. Let's just call it the Olympia Theater in Paris. Our uh, microphones do not pick up French. Yes, that's, that's right. what you're hearing right now. Dave actually <laughs> said that perfectly, but the microphones, the, do, they cannot handle it. They, cannot are, handle they are British microphones. My wonderful, my wonderful high school French accent. And... Um, so yeah, they had that time there where they were really could do a lot of writing because they were just stuck in one place. They had a piano put in their suite and they just they just worked. So that'd be cool to be the uh, the uh, next door neighbors to the Beatles mm-hmm. during that time, or maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it'd be a nightmare. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> but so you now fast forward up to this time. Uh-huh. So now you know that was exciting. They're doing a movie. They were on tour. They were seeing the world. Everything was exciting. You know, move up to now to this time for Rubber Soul. They're, you know, trudging around the world. They're going back and forth to America. They're doing, you know, endless live shows. And, and you know, and so everything has become a drag. Mm-hmm. And so even songwriting for them has become a bit of a drag. And so it's hard for them to sit down and make themselves write songs for this album, which they know is coming, but they just had a lot of trouble. They really had to force themselves. Now, spoilers, did they end up writing songs for this album, or was this album their first all-blank <laughs> That's album? Right. That's right. Because you know what? I think the Beatles could have released an all-blank album and done pretty well. Once. 
I think that would have been it for them. Though. Well, yeah, probably. Because the other thing, to, um, well, because this album was supposed to come out in, for Christmas. So it would have had an early December release. And they didn't start actually writing and recording it until October the 12th. Oh, okay. So they really were pushing themselves. So what happened was uh, the session started to get later and later because they were running out of time. And so what became a, a norm later on in their recording career where they would just sort of drift into the studio and record until two in the morning, record, you know, come in late and record in the evening and stuff like that. It was sort of established for Rubber Soul, but it wasn't like an intended thing. It just naturally happened that way. Because when they first started recording at Abbey Road, Abbey Road had, you know, not only did the, the people who worked there who were called technicians, where they wore white lab coats with their suits, <laughs> you know, it was all very, spe- it was all very particular place, very, you know, very, and they had three recording session times during the day. So your morning time, your afternoon time, and your evening time. Right. And when you went past that time, that was the end of the session. Oh. Close the doors and leave. And the Beatles, because of the circumstances, because of who they were, they stretched these boundaries till, you know, till they, they just made up their own rules, basically. And so the other interesting thing about, the, about this album is that the Beatles were kind of casting around for a new direction. Like we talked about Beatles for Sale and we talked about Help. I think Beatles for Sale is sort of the, the apogee, the height of their Beatlemania period. Okay. Help to me is sort of a coming down from that album as they're starting to, they're starting to lose interest in the romantic songs that they were writing before. And so Help is sort of the decadent album, you know, where the love songs are just, you know, it's just absolutely meaningless for the Beatles. They're just plugging in words to fill, fill space, to make songs. They're great songs. Yeah. But they're just not heartfelt. Do you know what I mean? Now, when you say Beatlemania is uh, is, is, is kind of gone the downside, I'm just talking about that particular yeah, that style era. for them. There's, yeah, their popularity continues to grow. If you want to put them into styles, not just popularity, but just styles of of, of time, you know. So they had their Beatlemania period. You right. know, that's recognizable. I want to hold your hand, or you know, can't buy me love. You listen to those songs. There's a particular style of playing and a particular approach to the songs. I hope you kind of hear it starting to change. Not totally. So it's it's not totally satisfactory. Mm-hmm. When you get to Rubber Soul, you really start to see where they're changing, where they're going. And as we talked last time, uh, they had been introduced to marijuana by uh, Bob Dylan. And this, and just looking at the cover of this mm-hmm. album is very different than the other covers of their albums. Like this one looks a little twisted, looks a little odd. Yeah, and we've talked before. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because we talked before about how the Beatles loved chance or loved randomness. Mm-hmm. And once again, this album was photographed by Robert Freeman. This was his last album with the Beatles, doing the cover photograph for it. But he had done them from uh, with the Beatles up to Rubber Soul. Okay. And what happened with this is he went to a park and he took their pictures. They're wearing these nice new suede jackets that they'd got. And he took their picture with them. And then he was showing them some different pictures and he put a card up against the wall on a table and he was projecting the images onto this card. And what happened was the card slipped and fell backwards a little bit and it stretched the image. And all the Beatles went, that's what we want. We want that stretched image, so that's what that's what how it was printed. And it wasn't just because they were all feeling a little chubby and just wanted to look slim. Uh, well, Lennon doesn't hurt. Yeah, it does not hurt. <laughs> it doesn't uh, hurt at all. Know. So wear little stripes and get your picture stretched. So, in an interview at the time, Lennon and McCartney told told one of the music uh, music weeklies that they were going to go in a comedy song direction. Ah, okay. now whether they were being serious, whether they're being facetious, oh, it's hard I can to see know. That. But. You know, they were looking for some new way of writing. You know, they were tired of romance. You know, they wanted to be more heartfelt. They wanted something newer. And so this seemed like an, and it's kind of interesting because why you would want to, and not, not a novelty songs, 
they were going to start writing, you know, writing "I Love Onions" or something like that. Right? Uh, Purple People Eater, yeah, you yeah, that's any of that. that's not what they wanted. But they wanted like songs with a sense of humor or a slight twist or whatever to them, and so that kind of creeps up in Rubber Soul. Yeah, there's some dark humor in this mm-hmm. uh, album, mm-hmm. absolutely. So like both Norwegian Wood and Drive My Car have kind of punchlines to them, mm-hmm. right? And then the other thing was they were kind of running out of variations on like simple romantic songs. So and so you had like you know they were kind of almost treading water at this point. You, Dylan had released two albums in the meantime. He'd released um, "Bringing It All," is it "Bringing It Back Home," "Bringing It All Back Home," and "Highway Highway 91 Revisited," "61 Revisited." I can't. I never get those names right because I get them mixed up with months here. It's "61 good, Revisited," you know "Highway what? 61 Revisited." You're good Sorry. with music. You're not great with math. I'm not great with math, and because we have a Highway 91 here, and I was getting yeah. mixed up with. I it can't even ask anyway. you about any Chicago albums. They throw you completely off. That's right. <laughs> too many numbers. Too many numbers. And so, yeah, Highway 61 and Bringing It All Back Home. And so, you know, that had Subterranean Homesick Blues on it. It had, like Rolling Stone, these songs that totally stretched the pop idea of what a pop song could be. His lyrics were just crazy and totally different and new. And the Beatles did not want to coast. And the, yeah, the Beatles weren't a, a band of coast. I mean, they were competitive people, not only with each other, but with other bands around them. Yep. So, um, so at the same time, um, uh, you know, the other bands, other British bands, like the Rolling Stones, had really satisfaction. You know, with that fuzz guitar, it's really revolutionary sound. The Kings had, before that, the Kings had released um, their big song that, uh, you know the one I'm talking about, right? I, I would if you gave me a hint. Oh, Just give me a hint. I remember the hum name. Me a, hum me a couple of bars. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Girl, I want to be with you in the, all day and all of the night. That's a, that's a that's yeah. a sequel to it. No, oh, okay. it's the one before that one. All right, you really well, got me. You really got me. Well, that you certainly one, do. Really. Wait, this is this. They, sound they like all the sound same the song. same. They all do. The yeah, same. they really do. Now that <laughs> they you mentioned it, very similar. Okay, and so um, which we're um, really sorry for singing, folks. Like that was one thing that we agreed. <laughs> one, we're not doing British accents when we started this. Two, we're not singing the songs for the most part. So so that's our guarantee to you. So um, for that song, Dave Davids had actually damaged the speaker on his amplifier with with a needle, with a knitting needle, to make it give it a distorted sound. He wasn't just in a knitting binge, and it accidentally happened, right? And the, and more contemporary, um, he wasn't just in a knitting binge. No, that was. And so it probably uses mum's crochet needle or something. Oh, her good needle. Good needle. Oh, and so then, rock and roll. More more contemporary to Rubber Soul, they just had released uh, the single "See My Friends," which used which used kind of a. Uh, a kind of modal, like Indian drone sound to okay. it, uh, just on guitars, but it had that it had that sound influenced by Indian Indian music, which Ray Davis had heard in in India while they were on tour, and so they were like into the Who were almost going to release My Generation, and they'd already done Any How Anywhere Any Whatever the song's called, and so you know they, they all these songs were pushing the pushing the form, and the Beatles were kind of not quite there. And so they really needed to kick it up a notch. Now, let me ask you, with the Rolling Stones, were the Rolling Stones doing that uh, publicity thing where it was, uh, you know, uh, where they were the anti-Beatles? Like, Oh, yeah, that was for sure. That was part of their... Well, I could see then as well, them not wanting to be, oh, you're the good guys, they're the bad guys. Like, if you're the rebel kind of rockers, you don't want to be the good guys. That's not a good place for you to be. You want to like, uh, you know, you want to be a little uh, bad as well. Don't want these guys going like you're the squares and we're uh, where <laughs> well, it's at. It's not that they're worried about being squares. It's they're more worried about seeing old hat, mm-hmm. like seeing passe, which would be that's de- square. That, that would squared be, them. That would be death in the in that that in the pop world of that time. Like you had to be constantly seeking forward in order to maintain your your place, you know. And so, you know, the Beatles were were in danger of you know slipping out of that. Now, in so- uh, like around this time in North America, in North America, was uh, was Elvis like uh, pretty much done? He's he was gone. done. So He's that's gone. an example of 
uh, your time has passed, you know, yeah. and there's someone you couldn't have been bigger than Elvis, mm. and then uh, he's gone. So now they're yeah. guy, these guys are coming down that road, don't want to make the same mistakes. Well, I mean, too. Elvis' career was destroyed long before that. He jo- he was made to join the army, mm-hmm. and rather than you know fight it, uh, he went into the army, right? And that was basically the emasculation of Elvis Presley. How does someone become? Sorry to tangent to Elvis for a second. How do you become emasculated when you join the army? Because that's that's part of the part of uh fighting for your country is not no, masculine no, well he wasn't fighting that country he was just going on he was just in germany you know in a barrack he yeah wasn't really fighting or Seems anything like that. still pretty macho going to barrack in germany yeah but he he joined he joined conformity he just conformed to society you know so he had this rebellious character yeah who's shaking his hip and causing all this outrage and everything like that and then he just he just becomes normal. Well, it just seems like in the movie, if you're making the movie, you have the rebel and then the army comes. The guy joins the army in the movie. That's how that movie goes. You don't want that. Okay. Elvis got his haircut to join the army. Okay. I but mean, all these things. Very different worlds uh, then and now, then I suppose. You know, the idea that going and joining the army yeah. was something where, like, uh, oh, well, for him, now look. I mean, at- it's different things, though, right? He's not a, he wasn't a masculine figure. Mm-hmm. He, was a figure he was a figure of rebelliousness. Yeah, he wasn't. A, it wasn't about being masculine. In fact, he was very feminine in the way he, you know, way he sang and the way he was. Right, and so are the Beatles. You know? Yeah, there's yeah. a there's that androgynous element to them that makes them appealing to young girls. That's and right. To, and That's what boys, you want. You right? want a little mix and match. You yeah. want a little uh, Mick Jagger. That's not the butchest guy on the block as well. But when you join, when you join the, you know, when you join the army, you become. You just become part of the. I can't think of the word. For some reason, I'm doing terrible with with words today. No, that's okay. My brain is shot. But you just become part of normality. Okay. You know, and that's not what Elvis was. Elvis was this sort of beacon of weirdness, of rebelliousness. You know, and that's what people looked to him for. The guy with the pink pants, and the pink Cadillac, and the crazy haircut, the long haircut that made parents go, ape. Whoop! I'll cut that out. Okay. They made parents go crazy. You can, by the way, you can say that word on TV right now. So yeah, I think it's fair. We shouldn't say that word though. Okay. Um, we should not say the word ape. We should not say the word ape. <laughs> made made you know, and so when he joined the army, it that was the that was the end of of him as a figure, you know, as a figure of rebelliousness. So now he became a figure of conformity. And then when he came back, he started working in Hollywood and movies and stuff like that. Right. And that was further. That further, you know, uh, watered down his okay. personality. So that's some stuff for our Elvis podcast, yeah, which we'll will be coming later. on a little bit later. But I'm just looking at, like, the Beatles having seen this. I mean, they, they did the similar thing of, you know, the rise through rock. They're doing the movies. You mm-hmm. know, maybe they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be the mainstream. They don't want to be the norm. They no. still want to be the innovators. Course, yeah. And with this album, I think that continued. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. All right. Do you want to go song by song or sure, is there more uh, context? Sure. We can start with the very first song. Dave loves his context. Let me tell you what that much. The, what are the great... Well, I mean, I just think if you know the Beatles were intending to write comedy songs, then a song like Drive My Car makes a lot more sense. Yep. I mean, some people, they say grace before a meal. Dave says, let's put this into context. Let's put this in context. We, and we all grab hands and we've got to like really just get into the context. Okay. <laughs> so the first song, speaking of Drive My Car, uh, it's not really a segue when you segue into the thing you've just segued from. <laughs> It's nothing, but it's a, it's a straight line, the kind of straight line you would drive in a car. Yeah. First song is Drive My Car. Which is a, fa- a fantastic opening song for the mm-hmm. album. And um, I love uh, I love the beep, 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 yeah. Yeah. I love, uh, I love he's, they've changed from the yeah, yeah, yeahs to the beep, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what? Maybe you're listening to this song in a car. Fantastic. For one song anyway. And what's kind of interesting about this song is that McCartney, it was mostly written by McCartney. Sounds like a McCartney song. Brought it to Lennon. And Lennon said, you know what we don't need anymore? We don't need songs about diamond rings. Because that was that was oh, what the chorus started with. There's so much diamond ring. We've yeah. gone over this. At least two other I'll songs. I'll buy a so. diamond ring, my yeah. friend. Like, there's so much yeah. diamond rings. 
can't buy me love and I feel fine. Both have diamond rings in them. Too much diamond rings. And you know what? It's all a ripoff of the I'm going to buy a diamond ring, the Mockingbird song. Yeah, probably. So there you go. Yeah. And so uh, Lennon said, uh, let's not use that. Let's change it. So it was he, his idea. Drive My Car was kind of his creation. And then um, when they brought it into the studio, Harris, George Harrison, he noticed kind of a similarity between that song and uh, the Otis Redding song, Respect. And not, I think you're probably maybe thinking of the Aretha Franklin one. This is a different one. Okay. And uh, he suggested doubling the riff on the bass with the bass and guitar. So you hear that the bass is playing and the guitar both playing the same part. And it gave it more bottom end, which was very hard for them to achieve. We've talked about before that the Abbey Road engineers were worried about the needle skipping uh, during mastering and on on people's record players at home. So they would tone down. They would constantly be ducking the bass in the mix. Yeah. Maybe uh, get uh, that needle problem fixed, uh, hi-fi manufacturers. Yeah. That's what I would say. And one other thing about this album, we talked a little bit about it before, about um, the engineer on these albums, Norman Smith, said this was a time when Paul McCartney really started to have his way with with his own, particularly with his own material. And if he had an idea in mind for a song, he had no problem erasing anything else someone else did and redoing it for his own way. Well, when you're the biggest entertainer in the world at the moment, yeah, yeah, I could see how you would get it. Well, he was a part of the biggest entertainer of the world. So rather than being a team player, he was becoming more of a, he was finding the me in team. Yep. No, understood. Now, and, you know, again, something we've talked about in the past is, you know, listing all the things that teenagers feel and writing a song for each one of those. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, what are things that teenagers like? Yeah. What do teenagers like? Well, they also enjoy driving a car. Yeah. Like, you just start driving a car. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's that's going to be uh, drilled into your head. You're sure. starting to drive. You're going to have this song in your head. Song advertises itself. Well mm-hmm. done. Anytime you hear a horn honking on the street, what's that? That's an ad for this song. <laughs> well done, you. Good marketing. Also, well, it is a very fun, light, funny song. And Yeah. It's all about, you know, uh, dreams and like, you know, we're going to get there. But in the meantime, just enjoy this. And here we go. It's funny. And when you, it's funny when you say that because uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, to a degree, were big Beach Boys fans. And mm-hmm. of course, the Beach Boys had a multitude of car songs. And so it's interesting that they kind of made their own car song. Yeah. You know, that doesn't quite play like the, the Beach Boys tended to be more reality based in the sense, you know, I've got a you know, my 409 can do this fast and it's got this they kind of stuff really on describe, it. They really describe, they're the Jay yeah. Leno's yeah. of, uh, yeah, of uh, right. you know, uh, some musicians. They'll really break down what type of car, yeah. what it does, what te- what time of day we're doing it. Well, but this, this one is just, uh, what's it mean to you? Just a tangent a bit. Yeah, Brian Wilson actually hired uh, a DJ from LA named Roger Christian to write the car songs with him because he knew he knew a lot about songs. Mm-hmm. And so he was brought in as a car expert to give those songs that kind of, you know, verite that that you know real truth to it so that teenagers listen to it be like oh yeah that is cherry man that is a cherry coop someone like should a, release an album that's just car songs just you could beach, actually have an album. Beach boys are ahead of you so. yeah but you could i'm just saying like you could have like a radio oh, station that's only tons. songs oh, there were tons at that time getting up to your pink amazing cadillacs amount. and you know later on oh amazing amount of songs okay car songs. anything else on drive my car well just i don't um, want to rush you i don't want to rush you have you got more on it because go go no, ahead that's fine are i was sure? just gonna say currently probably Probably McCartney played the guitar solo on it. Nice. It does have the Paul McCartney sound. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna park the this car over here. Okay. We're gonna step out of it. Sure. We're gonna walk over into this nice little house over here, and this let me nice tell you. Flat. Yeah. You want to know what's uh, what's in this uh, flat? What's that? It's a uh, Norwegian wood. Oh, really? This is probably one of my favorite pro arson songs. <laughs> until Talking Heads. Uh, burning down the house. Burning down the house. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, between those two, and I don't know which is my favorite, frankly. But if you're an arsonist, one of those two songs. Oh, this song. This. 
the song is great. And actually, when it was first written, it was called The Spirit Has Flown, which is a pun as well, if you're looking for punning titles. Yeah. Now, um, okay, so This Bird Has Flown was not actually officially this title because when i've looked up the lyrics yeah that usually comes up as well this bird has flown yeah oh yeah it's part it's he combined them together so it was really called this bird okay. has flown then it got changed to norwegian wood and then they got combined into into one title yeah i think bracketed. norwegian i think that's that's a better title what they ended up with mm-hmm. now uh now this song is actually about something is it yeah well, is there a story dave <laughs> there is a story to the everyone song. gather around and Come dave's on. gonna tell you a story Sit, someone can sit in the But everyone chair. first, before we do that, let's get some context. Mm-hmm. So, um, once again, mostly written by Lennon. Or sorry, I shouldn't say once again. This song was mostly written by Lennon uh, with some help from McCartney. But Lennon was writing it from a real kind of place. He was writing about an actual affair that he had. But, you know, he didn't want to upset his wife. And so it's very, it's couched in a very kind of oblique language. Which really works because it gives. Did you the hear song, that? There was a there was a horn honking yeah, twice. Drive my car. What did, yeah, boom! Now I'm thinking about drive my car. <laughs> Perfect advertising. Now we're back to Norwegian Wood. Continue. Um, yeah, and so he he wrote the song. Like I say, it was with the the lyrics were kind of oblique, but it works because it makes it universal. It's not yeah. a specific incident. It has this kind of weird quality, a humorous quality to it. I mean, having to sleep in the bath. You know, so that kind of tames the song. It, it, you know, because of the time it was written in, it can't really go down too many roads of what going to a girl's apartment would involve. And so it kind of, you know, she has to go to work. He sleeps in the bath, and then when he awakes in the morning, she's gone. Now, do you think in this? Uh, do you think in this in this song, uh, they made love? Well, it. Can, I mean, yes, but he does, can't do. say it. He can't say I it. don't. I think that. I mean, when I when I listen. Oh, to Oh, you it, think that he? She kind of. Yeah, took just him let him on. Way, yeah, she just, took him half the way there. No, not even. Yeah, well, that would be fine. Uh, no, I think <laughs> she did nothing. Like, I think mm-hmm. what happened was invited him over to the place. Mm-hmm. Say, no chair. Bad host. Yeah. Had to sit on the floor. Yeah. Uncomfortable. Yeah. Sits for two hours. Thinks he's going to get somewhere. Yeah. She goes. Well, I got to go work. Bye. Doesn't even say where he's going to sleep. There's yeah. no place to sleep. Goes to sleep in the bath. Ah, I've had enough of this in the morning. I'm burning your place to the ground. The end. <laughs> You know, I mean, and, and you go, uh, fair enough. Fair the, enough. The burning, the lighting the fire, setting the fire was Paul McCartney's suggestion. Good for Paul. And I think he was thinking in terms of, he was still thinking in terms of like, like a comedy song. Like it's still, the song's having like a little kind of a story to them. And that was partly because their uh, publisher, music publisher, Dick James, had told him that their songs didn't go anywhere and they never had a story. And they kind of took that to heart and they thought, well, it's kind of true. Like our songs are just kind of, you know celebration of a romantic moment but they don't really have a story behind them and so i think they were trying to consciously write with that in mind well i also like with this song because it sounds like your typical romantic song of just like romantic night and this happens mm-hmm. but yeah. then it doesn't happen you're like oh well it'll happen soon here we go nope nothing okay it was going off to sleep in the bath but clearly in the morning something's gonna nope she just left okay well you know what he's learned his lesson and oh he set the place on fire <laughs> the and then they're out yeah. that's that's great and not what you expect like, I've never heard a song like that on, you know, an album like this. Yeah. So, you know, it's your first step. Like, Drive My Car is really good, but we've heard similar songs. This is the first big bag of new, you know, that yeah. I've heard uh, on this album. Well, big bag of new, but not so much in the song itself. The big bag of, of new in it is the instrumentation, is George Harrison dragging out his sitar, deciding, you know, what the song really needs is a sitar. And he's right, because what Lennon was doing was writing, you know, in a kind of a, in a, in that modal drone style he had that there with 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 the way he had the way the chords right. worked the way the finger picking worked he had this drone working in the song and whether he was basing that on stuff he'd heard from the birds or whether he was basing that on on see my friends by the kinks 
it's hard to know or whether this on Indian music itself it's hard to know but so Harrison heard this and he thought well this what this needs is this sitar now would uh, would British uh, folks at this point uh, be familiar with the sitar because of the Indian community in uh, in, in England at the time um would it I be think an they instrument know. they would you know would have, in a very you would have had context? To, you would have had to seek it out yeah you would have been listening to Indian classical music you wouldn't be walking by like a uh, place and hear it hear it playing and well like maybe you would but you would be hearing it as Indian classical music you would not be hearing it in okay. any other context now uh, just a little bit this of a, was the first use of a sitar in a pop now song. a little bit of a tangent on this you also uh, supplied me with something from the Beatles uh, anthology was yep, it that's right and uh, it was an was it the original version of this song this was the first version they recorded yeah they recorded it twice now what was the difference between the two versions this first version i think is way more sitar in it like yeah. you don't hear that it doesn't this have the acoustic this one is close but no sitar as they say that's right there it's... is some sitar but the joke wouldn't work I don't know. <laughs> they um yeah it doesn't have the acoustic guitar intro to the to the original version and it's yeah much more sitar heavy and a little bit the instrumentation's a little heavier as well and it distracts from the lyrics to mm-hmm, me that one mm-hmm. like if you've heard this one a lot as you probably have yeah listening you can go online to your youtubes and uh, listen to it uh, and it's interesting. And oh, it, just buy anthology and hear the rest of the oh, songs. Oh, yeah. Well, why not? We encourage you to please purchase the albums. Um, but if if you listen to it and you've already listened to it, it's a more intense version and mm-hmm. it's, it's it's interesting. But if it's your first go around, you probably want to listen to the original version. Not the original version, but the version on this album yeah. first. Then go to that. Because uh, I think it distracts from the lyrics. And the lyrics really make this. I really <laughs> like the lyrics on this one. Now, once again, this song is. Um, well, let's just talk about it a little bit. Because George. Um, had for like so we talked about yeah talked about see my friends but where the kings imitated the sound of sitars with their guitars like that mm. kind of drone but they did not use the sitar so harrison uh heard it when he was doing help when they were making help there's a scene in the indian restaurant and they had musicians there playing uh the sitar in the scene and he fell in love with the sound of the sitar and then he was just at this um kind of a place called indian craft and he just found this cheap sitar there and he just he bought it on a whim and just kind of goofed around with it but when they started doing the song, he thought, oh, I know exactly how it worked. But he wasn't really that proficient with the sitar. He, nope. So what he did is he just kind of found, he found the notes that he needed. And he he's just playing it like a notes. guitar. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing the instrument sort of correctly, but not yeah. using it to its Pretty full potential. Pretty much exactly the same way Brian Jones, Brian Jones would uh, on uh, Paint It Black a year later, or maybe six months later, when the Rolling Stones did Paint It Black. He did the same thing. He just kind of found the notes and played it like it was a guitar. Yeah. And then... It, um, obviously, Harrison studied under Ravi Shankar and really did learn how to play the sitar to quite an advanced degree, only he realized he would never be a master of it because you still have the guitar and you can't just be, yeah. you can't divide yourself between two instruments. And so he gave up the sitar and returned to, returned to the guitar. But, um. But its impact, uh, definitely, uh, definitely remained. The, the other thing is, is, uh, Norman Smith, who I mentioned was the engineer. He he meant he comments how difficult it was to record the sitar, because it's this weird kind of instrument that has a lot of peaks. So you're getting all these real peaks when you're trying to record it. So you're getting distortion from that, and then when you so you want it, you can't turn it down though because then you can't hear it, and you can't compress it because then you lose the sonority of the sound of the sitar. And we had a devil of a time <laughs> recording it. The other interesting thing about this song is that it's kind of created. I don't know what you would call it. A conflict between Dylan, Bob Dylan, and John Lennon. And because Bob Dylan wrote this song called Fourth Time Around, and it sounds a lot like Norwegian Wood. Okay. How, how much earlier did he write it than uh, they did this? You it, don't know. It came out after Rubber Soul. It oh, came it out, did. It came out on Blonde on Blonde. Oops. Okay. But, um, but uh, yeah, it was called Fourth Time Around. And actually, it made, that made, Dylan, or made Lennon really paranoid 
because he started wondering what he started. He took it because it sounded like Norwegian wood. It was cold fourth time around. And he, start, he was like, what is Dylan trying to say to me? And there's a line in the song that says, um, I never asked for your crutch. Now don't ask for mine. And so Lennon thought what he was telling him was that quit relying on my songwriting style in order to create music. Oh. You know, and so it made Lennon super paranoid. But I was, I have another, I have a. So first he introduces him to pot and then he makes him paranoid. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Okay. I have a really good book about Lennon's, uh, or about Dylan's uh, 60s albums called, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's by Andy Gill. Of course you couldn't. There's a number involved. Yeah, there's a number. You, you can't remember math. <laughs> and um, so in this, there's a quote from Al Cooper, who worked with uh, Bob Dylan on Blonde and Blonde and, and Highway 61 Revisited. And he said, uh, so he says, John Lennon allegedly thought the song was a parody of the Beatles' Norwegian Wood, which appeared in December 1965 on the Rubber Soul album. Cooper says, I thought it was very ballsy of Dylan to do fourth time around. I asked him about it. I said, it sounds so much like Norwegian Wood. And he said, well, actually, Norwegian Wood sounds a lot like this. I'm afraid they took it from me. And Ooh. I feel that I have to, you know, record it. So Cooper then says, evidently, he played it for them and they would nicked it. And I said, aren't you worried about getting sued by the Beatles? And he said, they couldn't sue me. And indeed, they didn't. So, yeah, fourth time around, it's it's hard to know whether that was a reference to their fourth time meeting. It's hard to, to know exactly what uh, Dylan Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, that's a good song to give a listen to yourself uh, yeah. out there and uh, yeah. see what you fourth think. Fourth time around from Blonde on Blonde. Fourth time around. All right. Uh, next song after that is uh, You Won't See Me. Yes. Which, uh, along with I'm Looking Through You, would be two excellent songs for an invisible man to sing. Yes. Or to sing about an invisible man. I'm Looking Through You is used in, in the uh, credits to Ghost Town. Is that, oh, is that, that right? That Ricky Gervais film, isn't yeah, that? that yeah, that could be. It uses I'm Looking Through You in the credits. All right. Yeah. Well, so You there. Won't See Me would also work. Yeah, that's true. Both? But good. he's visible in it, so. Understood. <laughs> now, this is another one of their uh, stalker songs. This is one of their... Uh, this is one of... Well, this is one of... One of Paul McCartney's many songs about his relationship, apparently fractious relationship with Jane Asher. Okay, fair enough. Like, they um, they do jealous and uh, angry mm-hmm. quite well. And well, this is one of those. This is one of those, you know, I love you, I love you, but don't cross me. And yeah. You better return all my phone calls. And uh, who's that guy you're with? And what's this deal about? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they know, uh, they know jealousy well. Well, I'm sure that McCartney and Lennon, I'm, you know, I know that they changed later on as... Uh, you know, they became more enlightened. But at this time, they were both northern lads, mm-hmm. grew up, you know, with particular ideas of what women's roles were in the world. Right. And when Paul McCartney met Jane Asher, a middle-class girl from London, a southern Middle-class name. Middle-class name. She had her own ideas of what a woman's place was. And that was? To have her, you know, she wanted to be an actress. She wanted to work. She didn't want to have to wait around for Paul to call her. She didn't want to serve Paul. You know, she... And so she... Uh, went on tour with uh, with uh, with uh, with the old Vic Repertory Company. Mm-hmm. So she was touring for three months, and she wasn't available, you know, when lo- when when Paul snapped his fingers because uh, she's seeing Shakespeare at the time. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so uh, so these songs, I you know, you won't see me, and because apparently she wouldn't talk to him because she was mad at him because of how he reacted to her, you know, going on tour. And then I'm looking through you as another song from from this similar well i'm glad they became more enlightened but uh, i'm glad we got these songs in the meantime <laughs> let's just yeah. say it's a song that i enjoy but you know you don't agree with you know uh as once again though as teenagers uh you're prone to high emotions and jealousy mm-hmm. and uh those kind of things and so these this song this song works for that 
Uh, there's later creepier songs in this uh, album uh, yeah. about jealousy. Yeah. That uh, kind of disturbing. Uh, this one, you know, kind of uh, sets that those up for a little bit later on. Um, anything else on you? Might you won't see me? Oh yeah, lots. Oh well, then please. Well, this context it, it up. <laughs> well, this song was uh, was recorded. I feel the final... like you did a lot of homework. And I did not. I feel like uh, I've said uh, something about England. Uh, is they have London is in England, Dave. And then you do the report for like six minutes, and uh, we split the grade. Okay. Well, here's a few. Here's a few little things about you won't see me. Okay. Because the Beatles were were, were working like mad to try and write songs for this album, they were relying on outside influences for for some of this for some of their you know their muse. So this song is based on the Four Tops song, uh, the same old. It's the same old song. Do you know that song? Same old song. It's the different. same. Yeah. Uh, once again, I'm sorry. It's we promised we wouldn't sing. Old song. Yeah. But so he just pitched it down a little bit lower. So he uses different notes. But it's actually, it's if you listen to it, you can hear the two songs. Um, and now they were running out of time as well. So this was recorded on the final day of recording with, three, with two other songs, with um, Girl and What's Going On. And so it was actually like this 13-hour recording session to get this song done. And uh, what... And so, because they're working so hard, one of the problems, like I think, someone like Lennon worked really well under pressure. He seemed to be totally uninterested in writing songs unless there was an album due. Mm-hmm. Like they, he just didn't have a stockpile of songs in most cases. McCartney less that that way, but Lennon for sure. Well, let me ask you a question about that. Uh, in later years, after the Beatles broke up, uh, what was uh, Lennon like for songwriting? Like, uh, was he quite pro- prolific, or was uh, did he like just write them when he when he had the inspiration? There's no desperate yeah. do it, do it, do it. I would say, well, I think he still he still worked, so he still felt that in an album a year was was what he needed to do. Okay, you know, so songs were written for an album a year. All right, and like you Paul, know. Paul was uh, Paul's uh, you know songwriting. Like he's written a lot of a lot of songs, mm-hmm. you know, since then. But you know, uh, do you think they benefited from having the hard wall uh, up against them, where they had to write things immediately? You know, if they if they had like all the time in the world, you know, uh, probably wouldn't have gotten these songs. <laughs> probably, yeah. I think I think most people. I think most people are like that. I think most people need the whip cracked behind them in some way. Well, I don't know. I mean, whether when, it's the you know you need money or yeah, you but when, your job. I guess or, so. But you know, when they're in Germany, you know, they're playing. They're 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 not doing. They're working. It. They're working, but they're not working for you know necessarily. You know, for uh, for money or ma- they're they working, working for money. Of, I get, I get, they get paid. I understand. They're working for money, and you if know, they didn't work, they yeah. would have been, they would have been kicked out of Germany. Yeah, I get, I get that. But you go into the music, you know, for the mu- for the music uh-huh. is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's I mean, I mean, obviously that's what attracted them to it. But you know, there's got there has to be more. This you know, just people are that way. I mean, I love to draw, but it takes it takes a. You know, a heavy anvil weighing down on my head to make me draw. Well, that's know? one. That's one inspiration. The other inspiration is just compulsion. Where, like, mm-hmm. if you have a song, you know, for me with writing, I have an idea. It comes yeah. to me, and then it's like in my head, like a like a like a fly just buzzing. Yeah. And I've got to write it down so I can shut the fly up. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming, you know, with the uh, with musicians, you get that song in your head. Oh, sure. It's like I got to make this into a song. I can't just have this playing in my own head, or I'm going to go crackers. But again, I'm projecting. That at happens. That, point. that happens sometimes. I mean, yesterday was an example of just a song popping into their head. But I don't think that was a common thing for okay. for the Beatles. So, um, yeah. So I was just going to say so. Because they were working so hard, uh, what you get is a really kind of unimaginative arrangement to the song, like with, you know, that kind of ooh, la, la, the backing vocals to the okay. song, which it's kind of funny because they're exactly the same backing vocals as in Nowhere Man, 
which stupidly, oh, stupidly not... follows it on the album. So you have one song that Gee. uses the ooh-la-la, and the next song, in a way more artful way, uses the ooh-la-la. That'd be interesting to do a little mashup there. <laughs> just go from one ooh-la-la to the other and see if you can mix those songs together. And um, can I just, one of the thing, interesting thing about this song is that apparently the roadie Mel Evans played the, plays an organ note on the song. He what, just a, one he, note? Yeah, played A. Just held his finger down on it right. for the last part of the song. When you listen to it, it's hard to hear. I don't really hear it myself, but apparently oh, he's that's... credited on the Rubber, Rubber Soul album sleeve. And again, I don't want to get gauche here. As Mel Organ Evans. I don't want to get gauche here yeah. because we're, we're a clean podcast. Hmm? But that guy got a lot of action from that one key. <laughs> like going like, hey, hmm. you know, like that song? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on that song. What do you mean? Let's look at the album. Oh, you are. That's right. I'm on a Beatles album and uh, that gets you a date. One of the weird things about this song to me, a... I don't know if you remember the, I don't know if you remember the, oh, well, I'm sure you do. Some people may not remember the good old days of Walkmans, where you would take a cassette and you put it into your Walkman and you'd sit and listen to it. And there oh, was, so again, that's a portable walk that you can cook Chinese food. It was battery powered. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Do you remember, you remember these, right? Of course I do. Now the problem with them, unlike MP3 players or iPods or whatever, is that when those run out of battery, they just turn off. They just shut down. But with your Walkman... The music you're listening to would slowly get slower, and then you'd start to notice that you needed to get a new battery for it. And the Beatles would go, that's how we want it. And so what's weird about this song is when I would listen to it when I was on my Walkman when I was a kid, yeah. it sounded like it was slowing down. <laughs> and it would make me think that my battery was running out all the time. How many batteries do you go through with this song? And I don't think you would notice... <laughs> Well, when the other song started, when the next song started, though, then it would be normal. Yeah. Like when Nowhere Man kicks on, then it's like, oh, it's fine. What's About what point on? in the song would you uh, start uh, doubting your battery? Yeah, and you're like about a third of the way through. It sounds like it's starting to slow down. Time after time? I can see time <laughs> after time. Yeah, I could see how and it starts think, like, to feel like it's slowly. I've always wanted to take a metronome and, and put it on. <laughs> I don't have one, so I, you know, I just can't do it easily. Maybe there's I a. I mean, how could you afford a metronome, Dave? Those are garage sales. Why for would like I $2. go in? Well, maybe that's where I could find one, but I just not. That, I don't go to garage $5 sales. Five dollars tops. I don't metronome. go to garage sales, and I'm not inclined to start. Do you have doing a cell it. phone? Yes, I do. Then you got a metronome on there. Like, I don't have a cell phone. You can put apps on though. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you could attach your cell phone to a metronome, <laughs> which you can get for five dollars. Yeah. Guys, if you're a fan of the show uh, and you want to send us a metronome, uh, you send us a metronome. You, please someone set... out there, do do the do the. If you have a metronome, yeah. Do the test. All right. Set and it, then let us set know. it and tell me if it's if it slows down actually. If no, it's just or if it's just an audio illusion. Because you wouldn't notice it, I don't think, unless you were listening to it on this thing that required batteries. Unless and you were would... worried about your yeah, batteries. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. We're getting a little bit of your youth. You have also uh, let people know our age. Well done. <laughs> okay. So uh, I didn't now know it was a secret. if you like that uh, that chorus, you're gonna enjoy it in this next song. That's right. And that's uh, Nowhere Ooh, Man. La, la. Now this one feels really Beatles to me. Mm. Like, it feels like later Beatles. But you, you you know it so well. You know it so well. But, like, if you didn't know this was coming, mm -hmm. wow. But I but I love this. This was released as a single uh, in U.S. and Canada. Okay. So, so yeah. we're more than a little familiar with this song. Now, I actually, this is a song I love. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's it, it, it feels like it's a song about alien feeling alone yeah but then and, and and it really hits that like it's it's got elements uh that will later come up in eleanor rigby but unlike eleanor rigby it doesn't have the downer ending like they <laughs> went fully for it in eleanor rigby where you're just like at the end of eleanor rigby mm. you just want to like go out walk in the rain and just <laughs> just think hug give, yourself give things a good think no this song is a hug yourself okay this song is saying listen you're like this but you don't have to be like this mm -hmm. the world's out there buddy 
go for it. And like to a teenager, that's a great thing to hear. You know, you're just two in your own head. You're just two in your own world. You're doing nothing. Yeah. You know, and and this and and you're listening to an album when you're uh, when you're when you're hearing this, right? So you're like in your room listening, like, oh, that makes you think a little bit. Sure. Like, what do you do after? Go go do some stuff. And the other interesting thing about this song is, unlike all the preceding songs in this album, and maybe every song in the Beatles' career up to this point. It's unrelated to love, unrelated to romantic love. Mm-hmm. It's just a song about, you know, where this person is in this song, what this, you know, and obviously, probably Lennon, another, is a Lennon song and another confessional Lennon song. Someone, he, he, he himself is the knower man to a degree in this song. You know, he was at a real crossroads in his life at this time during Rubber Soul. And he was, you know, he was, um, he had this public persona that was created for him by a different person, was created for him by Brian Epstein, that he was expected to live up to. Um, he was, you know, unlike Paul, who lived in London, John was hidden away in this in the suburbs in his in this big mansion in Weybridge. Was that because he was married? Was that the reason? Because for him? it was partly that. I mean, all three of the of the Beatles, besides Paul, moved out into the suburbs, and I think that was sort of a dream, a middle class dream of mm. you know of working class people was to have a mansion. In a, in a, in the country, you know, and that's, right. and that was kind of your, a status thing to do. Paul had kind of hooked himself when he, when he became, uh, <laughs> romantically involved with Jane Asher. Yeah. He opened himself up to this whole kind of true, this real middle class world of educated London, Londoners, you know, who lived in townhouses in, you know, in the Abbey Road area or wherever, you know, or St. John's Wood area, I guess I should say, which is where Abbey Road is located. And, you know, so, you know, he had a different idea of, he kind of developed a different idea of of attainment. What you know, what you attain is from the the you know the popularity and their wealth and everything else, right? right. And so, yeah, Lennon's living out in this little in this house in a big giant house. Shouldn't say little house, a big giant house with a wife he doesn't he no longer loves. You know, <laughs> with a child great. that's just a just a weight to him, right? And then he's starting to slip into drug use, so he's starting to lose. What child is this at this moment? Uh, it would have been. Um, uh, What's his first son's name? Sean? No, Sean is his second son's name. Oh, okay. Julian. Well, it's Julian. His son Julian. Okay. Man, my my brain today. That's all right. I can have to get some sleep before I do completely Beatles nights <laughs> or, or recordings. Um, and so Dave, we we've been doing our Elvis podcast. Yeah. Yeah. This is why are you talking Beatles so much? This was kind of the start of, <laughs> okay, of Lennon's. Continue. This was kind of the start of Lennon's uh, acid phase. Oh, he's moving out of okay. his marijuana phase and starting into his acid phase when he really was a major acid user, like not not just a recreational user but a, a a a gulper an addict to to acid you know uh-huh. and so yeah i mean my my uh-huh on that is um just i guess i kind of go with the robert crumb thing which was he, he you know with robert crumb the cartoonist mm. he did acid he yeah. said it opened his mind up yeah then he stopped because you can't open it up anymore like you've done it you've but like he triggered. stopped but he didn't stop until the mid 70s oh is that right yeah oh, okay he didn't so stop he did right for away a while. yeah right. he was also a person who really lost himself that's a drag to that kind of ego less uh, element of, of acid which sounds kind of ideal until you're living an egoless life where people are taking advantage of you because you are, are incapable of looking after yourself and again yeah. it's yeah it's like you know you get everything that people would think technically you would want right you've got mm-hmm. the checklist of like what are your dreams what would you like to achieve i want to be able to do all these things well done yeah okay well i gotta escape from that uh, i'm gonna do wait why are you escaping from everything that everyone else wants what do you do oh all right I guess you got a big house, but if you've uh, got no love in it, then it's a uh, yeah. big deal. Big <laughs> deal, buddy. Big deal, indeed. You know, that's, that house is empty. So he had, he had been up all night trying, because anyway, they needed songs. 
They really needed a song. So he's up all night trying to write a song. Yeah. Finally, he just gave up. He laid down. So I forget it. And he laid down. And suddenly, just like that, this song popped into his head. And he got up again and he, he finished the song. And yeah, so... It's, and that's, uh, that's how that kind of writing works. It's weird for me, this, uh, this song, because my first exposure to it was in the uh, movie Yellow Submarine. Of course. So I always assume, yeah. I always don't assume, but I always attach it to the character in Yellow Submarine. Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy. And I love, I love that character because it's so much like your typical, I want to say typical British. I'm going to say, I'm going to counter everything that I say immediately before I say it. Is that <laughs> annoying? Um, but it's your typical, no, it is. Oh, no, yes, it it's is. your typical British know it all. It's like, you know, uh, when, uh, whenever I visited mm-hmm. England, people know, you know, uh, lines from Shakespeare verbatim. Yeah. They've memorized these poems, yeah. but they don't know what they mean. They're just like surface things. And so you had with Jeremy uh, this cleverness, just yeah. a be- beautiful cleverness that that British people have. Yeah. But underneath it all, there was nothing. And I always uh, I love that image of like the re- who, and he just gets called on it, and then he's all alone and like, oh, I yeah. gotta, I gotta, I gotta actually get a life, and he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so yeah, this is one of my favorite songs. You know, with that the, connection. Well, no, I, this is just one of my favorite songs. Period. Oh, really? Like, I'll just go. If you're looking at like maybe top twenty favorite songs, this is one of them. Yeah, it is a beautiful song, and uh, and, uh, and a good message. And George plays his kind of new guitar of choice on this one, which is was a sonic blue, like a blue uh, Fender Telecaster or Stratocaster. Mm-hmm. So he'd moved he'd moved away from the Gretsches and the Rickenbackers, and now he's using this kind of solid body guitar, and that's what gives it that kind of trebly sound. Because the Stratocaster, and even more so the Telecaster, really up the treble because of their the body on, on the guitar. They have a really great, like lots of rockabilly players and stuff like that like them because they give a real twangy sound to, to guitar playing. And so, yeah, and so both Lennon and he played the similar guitar, and so it gets that really nice trebly guitar sound to it. And it's a beautiful solo. And then I, don't, I think we should mention before we go on how much having four tracks freed Paul McCartney to develop the most beautiful melodic bass playing and on this song, it's a particularly beautiful bass line that he develops for this song. This is really lovely. Later on, Lennon uh, accused McCartney of giving his songs short shrift and kind of, you know, railroading past them so it, they, we, they could get to the really important songs, meaning Paul McCartney's songs. But when you listen to Lennon's, listen to songs that Paul McCartney plays on, whether it's George Harrison's or Lennon's, you can hear the craft that he brings to them just, just in the, in the beautiful bass playing that, you know, super beautiful parts that he's obviously worked on and this norman definitely benefits from from that yeah this is the this is the start of the beatles that i really i mean i like the beatles up to this point but mm-hmm. this is like okay now the roller yeah. coaster has just started let's have some fun <laughs> so you like the drug beatles not the uh alcohol beatles yeah i guess so the boozy beatles i like nope. the no i like the acid beatles probably more than well i guess paul's on is paul on acid at this point too no in august uh during the American tour, when they were touring in August, they had a week off, and actually all three, three of the Beatles, excluding Paul, tried acid. So Ringo's first time, and George and John second time. They did it with David Crosby and Peter Fonda. Okay. And actually, that's where there's a song called "She Said She Said" on Revolver, and it was that this this acid experience that that uh, that song references, and um, yeah, Paul was not that keen on the effects of acid. He was worried that it would they, it would change what he was perfectly happy with. He was perfectly yeah. happy with what he was doing. Yeah. He didn't have Lennon's angst, you know, and he didn't accidentally get it dosed with it yeah. by some idiotic friend. So, you know, he, he was much more uh, tentative about it. It's scary, yeah, the idea mm-hmm. that uh, it, this could all be changed because your yeah. brain is working the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it doesn't. Uh, speaking of thinking and your brain, <laughs> the next song is called Thinky and the Brain. 
Is it? Is it called Thinky and the Brain? I think so. All right. Well, it then got the name changed to Think for Yourself. <laughs> yeah. It um, actually had a different title. I wish I had written it down because there was a different title for it. Oh, okay. And then it got changed to Think for Yourself. Um, well, okay, what can we say about this song? A typically dour George Harrison song. I mean, oh, is this a George Harrison? Yeah. Everyone's yeah. got a bad relationship in this group. <laughs> this this is a big bag of sour balls, this song, these guys. He said the song was more political than personal. But to me, when I listen to it, it just sounds kind of like one of Bob Dylan's sort of finger-pointing songs, where you're just kind of like, you know, you don't know nothing and I know everything kind of <laughs> And what, what, what makes the song interesting is that, well, Paul played his bass part, but then they added uh, a second bass part, played, played through a fuzz box that was plugged What's directly. What's a fuzz box? A fuzz box gave, it, gave the uh, instrument a distorted sound. Okay. So they were, they were made by the technicians at Abbey Road. They would just, you know, you'd say, well, we need a fuzz box. They go, okay, we'll just make one for you. They'd just get the soldering iron out and quickly put together this little box. And so the bass was plugged into that, and then it was plugged directly into the mixing board. So it's called DI, direct interface, okay. I guess. So it was, someone can correct me if they know what it actually is, DI means. <laughs> I've only ever heard it as DI, DI'd into the board. So there's no, because we do appreciate corrections, by the way. Oh, I love corrections. No, I'm serious. I do. Yeah, I do. I agree. Especially if I'm not in the room when the, I'm being corrected. On Dave, yeah, on Dave's yeah. list, it's uh, context, number one. <laughs> Two, corrections. corrections. <laughs> Three, no corrections. <laughs> That's what I prefer. Yeah. Um, so when the Beatles were being recorded, like, you know how a, rec- a recording studio works, right? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you know it or? Yep. So, you know, when they're recording the guitars and stuff like that, you know, the cars. I'm saying guitars, I know it. I don't know if everyone out sure. there knows so, it. If you want to describe it, go ahead. So the guitars are being played through amps and the amps are mic'd. So you get a bit of a room ambiance and then you get the, the sound of the guitars from the amps, you know, and the drums also are mic'd. Sometimes they're close mic'd. Sometimes the mics are put right up to the drums. Sometimes they're mic'd at a distance. So you get like the room sound of the drums. It depends how much control you want of the sound, right? And so, so in this case, rather than have, you know, the, the room ambiance and the fuzz bass. They just wanted the, the that that eh, 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 eh sound, so they just plugged it right into the mixing board to get this undiluted fuzz sound. And it's just a fantastic part. Uh, to me, the song is <laughs> is pretty good, but that makes it great. Just that fantastic bass part in it, and Paul's obviously having some fun. There's some really great runs in it as well. It's just really great commenting on the song and stuff like that. Cool. Like to me, this song is uh, a, a very teenager song. Mm-hmm. Like it's just. Yeah, yeah, like you say, I know everything. Yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the teen teen anthem, and that's fine. Sure, you know it's how you feel at that age, mm-hmm. and you know if you're a rock star and the world is telling you you're amazing, it all makes sense. Yeah, and there you go. Yeah, Harrison didn't have much to say about it. And he has a book called "I Me Mine," which is a uh, he writes kind of describes talks about the songs he wrote and about the song. He says he says it was probably a political song, but even he's kind of vague about what it, <laughs> yeah, what it meant. That's all right. So let's go to kind of the ap- the apogee, the height of the marijuana smoking with the word. Right. Because the last song was, I've got a word or two to tell you about the things you do. Mm. What's that word? Let me tell you the word. The word is love. The word is love. So once, I mean, the Beatles were amazingly prescient in the way that they worked. And I think that they were just masters of picking up, you know, the vibes of, of the kind of, what's the word that you want to, the zeitgeist. You know, they just were able to kind of pick up. And anticipate changes in culture before it happened. And it made them seem like they were, they were the messiahs. They were the ones who were telling us what to do. Yeah, which is the, almost the opposite of the last song, which is Think for Yourself. This yeah. one has the line, uh, say, the, say the word and be like me. 
which is almost the opposite of think for yourself. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like right after the I want you to think for yourself and now this is this is what the cult sings. Sure. You know, and let's when, all sing it together. And when we hear the song, we kind of reference without thinking about it. We reference the summer of love and hippies and all that kind of stuff. But this song is a year is 18 months before yeah, the yeah. summer of love. You know, it's it's well in advance. Connecting of, love with freedom yeah. is a weird idea. I mean, the, the term hippies hadn't even been invented No, no, at this no, point. but like just the idea like love is possessive for the most part yeah. in the Beatles songs. It's uh, I want it, I need it, and then if I sure. don't have it, I'm jealous and I'm angry. And yeah. I, once again, who's that guy? But the idea of you love someone and then you're free, yeah. those two words don't go together. Free means unencumbered. You're not a couple, you're free. That's a different That's a different beast. Yeah. But this uh, this is interesting, this song. Yeah, it really does kind of launch launch that whole, you know, I, I, I feel bad saying hippie, but like that whole mindset. It doesn't launch. It does. It, okay, you could say it launches in a way. What it does is it it preludes it. It preludes it. Yeah, it kind of okay. ties into it. It kind of reads what's happening in small places. I mean, in this time, I mean, pot smoking and taking acid and stuff like that is happening in very small, very isolated communities in a few kind of major cities where like-minded people have gathered together. You know, a particular kind of uh, you know upper middle class or middle class educated people are you know kind of doing these things yeah you know are stealing kind of stealing a, a beat from from the jazz from the jazz and, and the beat artist the beat generation before it you know who were also of small you know in the beat generation unlike the hippies had really no no social impact you know they they came and they went without you yeah. know without having that much you know impact on the culture at large you know obviously their books and stuff like that rang within you know but artistic it or to the educated it appeal to it's, mm-hmm, it's exactly the, it's like as as they say it's the kind of thing you like if you like that kind of thing that's right whereas the beatles were kind of heralding yeah heralding this sort of change that was coming yeah but made them seem like they were part of that or that they were causing the change rather than just seeing what was going on around them and, and commenting things from on it. this song just seem to be borrowed later in a lot of other songs sure, just like, like sunshine just like okay. love sunshine you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, that's okay. Those are other things you don't normally connect with love, mm-hmm. you know. But but yeah, then boom. Now, uh, hey, Donovan, do you want some ideas for a song? Come this way for a second, buddy. I got a song you want to hear. What um, What's interesting about this song is that the it was based, it was influenced for the Beatles. It was influenced by soul music of the time. So they were they were like, when they were writing it, they were thinking of like Wilson Pickett's In the Midnight Hour or James yeah, yeah. Brown. Yeah. Uh, uh, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. And so, but of course, when they hear those things and then the Beatles do it, you know, it's that, that music is reflected through the particular prism of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And so to them, they, when they did this stuff, they thought it was totally obvious that everyone, that everyone could hear the influence soul was, that soul music was having on this album, you know, which is why they, part of why they use Rubber Soul as a title for it. You know, whereas if you listen to the song and you don't know that connection, you're not going to really pick up on it. You're not going to go, you know, you're going to hear a little bit of that kind of, you know guitar sound and stuff yeah. like that but it's not going to really strike you the way that it did to them to them it was just like oh man we're being so obvious <laughs> like everyone's gonna hear this and just think what well, yeah. a bunch of posers thinking they're soul musicians this is terrible you know but you know don't, most people who listen to it they don't really pick that up they just go what a great beatles song yeah so. and uh, they're not wrong okay and once again oh, another ahead. amazing paul mccartney bass line oh very good so uh moving on to uh michelle my bell yeah that's right uh this uh this <clears throat> This is uh, every album they have a melter, mm. which is the, uh, the usually Paul. Yeah, he's singing it just right to the ladies. Mm-hmm. It's gonna melt you. You yeah. just sit on your bed and you just go and just gasp, and then just you have your quiet time with you and Paul and this song. And this is the one. And this time he's actually not even being fair. 
He's throwing in some French. Mm. He's going full Gomez on the Adams family on you. He's going Pepe Le Pew on you. Here we go. He's you know it's it's the most it's almost mock French. It's uh you know but it's it's enough French to get you there. And there you are. Enjoy. What's funny is that it was it was a continuation of the comedy theme, the song. Oh, what's the comedy element of this song? Well, there's a, a line that goes, "I want you, I want you, I want you. I think you know by now." You know, so there's that kind of element of, of, and also the whole, okay. s- and the song was created by Paul McCartney as a joke song. He would actually play it at parties mm-hmm. and he would just do this sort of mock French. Yeah. It sounds like mock just, French. And he would just kind of play it for at parties for friends. Yep. And he'd play it like it, you know, he wrote it in Liverpool and he played it for friends there, but he also played it at arty parties that he went to with Jane Asher with her friends. And he would sit down and he'd play this very kind of French song, you know, and just kind of give it this little bit of a, you know, that kind of sound. And then he'd, you know, do this terrible mock French, you know, and so... As a British person does. But it was just a goof-off, right? It wasn't a full song. So, uh, you know, once again, they're looking for songs. songs. Desperate for songs. He brought it to John and said, you know... I, this because Alouette, Jante Alouette didn't fly. So now it does we fly, go? as we'll f- learn later. But um, oh, now I'm interested. Okay, but uh, I got to listen to later podcasts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so then John heard it and he said, "Well, I think we could use this." And so then he stole a little bit of a, a Nina Simone song. I put a spell on you. Where what it, element? Uh, I love you. I love you. I love you. He took that the triplets of that and put it into Michelle. Okay, so that was taken from that song and put into 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 Michelle. And then they got, uh, they had a school friend who played in the quarrymen named Ivan Vaughn. And was Ivan Vaughn? He may have even been the one who introduced them, McCartney and Lennon, to each other. But, uh, his, his wife was a school teacher and she taught school, she taught French. So they got her to, uh, look at the lyrics and it was her who wrote, did the Michelle Mabel. She thought, that, and then she also wrote the, uh, these are words that go together well. And she, <laughs> she translated into French for them. Nice. So yeah. No, I can definitely see it as a comedy song. Whenever I whenever I hear it, it does feel like this is the I don't want to say sleazy guy, but this is the this is the Lothario mm. with the thin mustache who's just like, Well hello ladies, would you like to hear a song? And it blended a song for who and it's it's funny to hear that that was the, the kind of thing he was going for originally. Well even if you listen to his voice in the song, it's a lot huskier than normal. Mm-hmm. So he's giving kinda of giving it that little but, bit of But that irony and that mm-hmm. comedy only gets heard if you want to hear it. Yeah, if exactly. If you don't want to hear it, exactly. then baby, you're sitting on your bed and you're going to be <laughs> thinking about this song for a long, long time. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a there's a little, uh, I guess it's called a GIF you can see, or a little um, flash, illustrated flash um, history of the names, in, of girls' names in, in America. And so you have it from the 19th century mm-hmm. up to now. And so for a long time, it's Mary, 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 right. all through the United States. Like Mary, 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 Mary. owner. Yeah, things very simple names. Mary, 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 Mary. Then you get to the ni- then you get to 1965. Yeah, Michelle, 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 Michelle oh. starts to take take over, and then it really it kind of breaks the Mary Mary deadlock of, of names, like you know, to start most popular name. Like obviously right. lots of different names, but most popular name has Mary come back. Uh no, no. Okay, no. interesting. You have family members named Mary, so that's interesting to me. And my mom is a, a middle name. Is a variation on that as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. all right. Uh, anything else on uh, this song, Mon Ami? The final song of side one. No, no. Michel? I'm just saying. Are we going yeah. to leave the French behind? Let us leave the French. You're behind. the only person who can speak French amongst us, even though I was born in Montreal. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you say, "Let's move on to the next song in French"? You know, let's not. Let's go on to the. Next that sounds song. exactly like English, it does, doesn't it? Many French words sound exactly yeah. like English. Yeah. All right. Allons-y. All right. Uh, what goes on? Yes. Which a- is. To me, I'm going to say, mm-hmm. it's a country song. Oh, yeah. Am I wrong? I would say you're right. This this sounds like, uh, did I leave hee-haw on? Uh, you know, nothing against hee-haw. We have, uh, you know, I've, I'm fine with hee-haw. But uh, 
You know, it just sounds like, oh, this is something maybe even the Soggy Bottom Boys might do, you know? Uh, and uh, I like I like the song, but it sounds very different than anything else on the album so far. Well, you know, it was a Ringo song, and it's almost as if the Beatles learned from help after the disaster of uh, that song, was it If You've Got Trouble? And uh, almost as if they learned from that not working out, that what they really need for, for Ringo is kind of a country-ish, novelty-ish song. Mm-hmm. And so, act well, naturally, act naturally act becomes what what's going on. So, actually, what's going on was a really old song. It was actually written by John when he was back in the Quarrymen. Wow! So it has its origins in kind of a skiffle beat kind of a song, and then it was considered as a possible follow up to "Please Please Me," but they never got around to recording it at that time. So this was just one that was in the bag. So it was one that was in the bag. And you're ending your first uh, first side with a, an oldie. Interesting. Okay. No, it's the beginning. Michelle was, the, was, oh, was that song the number seven. Yeah, now you're, you're starting your first, yeah. uh, your second side with this one. But once again, Michelle was a kind of a song as well that was recycled from out that of. That is a, true. Yeah. All right. And so and so, yeah, he uh, he took it out of mothballs. Okay. And they kind of updated it a little bit, and uh, and then uh, they uh, you know kind of they kind of made it into an upbeat country western song. Um, George got to do his best uh, Carl Perkins, mm-hmm. and there they go. They filled two minutes and thirty seconds. On to the next song. Yeah, they they're said. picking, they're grinning. You and know, this what? was one of the songs they they recorded that final thirteen hour session. Oh wow, marathon session before before they had to. This uh, actually makes me a little sad now. And you know, he's still around. Maybe he can do some stuff. It's uh, sad to me that Ringo never uh, won a little country. He did. Oh well, that makes me happy. <laughs> and you know why, Dave? Why? I'm glad Ringo. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, once went a little country. Yes, he did. He did a full album of country covers called Boku of Blues. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry that it's called that. Uh, but uh, why? Why is it called that? I don't know. Why is it? Oh, it's a country album. So why is it blues and why is it French? Is there's two two I things that country folks <laughs> aren't going to go cover. for? It's one. It's blues in the country. Bad marketing, Mister uh, Mister Star. Of, it has lots of uh, country on that. Album. Okay, but yeah, that guy, that guy, and country music do go together well. My Michelle. All right, moving on. Uh, we are now on to Girl. Yeah, kind of the answer song to Michelle. So, Michelle, you have your French song. I thought you were going to say the answer song to, uh, on their first album, Boys. Boys. We yeah. have finally come nope. up. They've gone all the way around to... I like that you leapt that far into the past, but no, <laughs> this was kind of, I think, kind of John's answer song to Michelle, because you have your French, your chanson, your French yeah. song, and now you have your, your German sort of two-step. So, this kind of goes back to sort of the kind of decadent German cabaret song. Yeah, this seems like a cabaret song. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This is like single spotlight on the stage, yeah. guy holding a rose. Yeah. He's got his back to the audience. He just turns, oh, hello, I did not know you were there. <laughs> let me let me sing a song for you. And well, uh, the, But it's German, not French. Well, I did. It, it's harder to do a German accent off the, off the cuff, all right. though. You're right. Is there anybody else? Oh, no. <laughs> and so on. I see nothing. That's right. But it's a song called Girl. <laughs> No, it's a, but... Because uh, when you listen to it, like, the, there's the, the guitars are incredibly capoed. You know what a capo is, right? The the bar that... The bar you yeah. put on when it's... And, and yeah. so you can make chords, at, you know, rather than at the now, top. Now, I got a big question about this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's with the inhaling? To be lascivious. Really? Is that the... Look? Girl. Okay, is yeah. it? All right, and fair the, enough. I wasn't sure it was like, is he smoking a joint? Has he got asthma? What's going on with this? To further the fun, if you listen carefully to the background singing, they're, they're singing repeatedly, tit, 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 tit. <laughs> Truly. So this is a little bit of fun with this song, too. Song so we too. got a French song. We got yeah. our German song. Yeah. We're all having a good time with yeah. you. And if you don't, uh, once again, hear the, the subtext, just enjoy it as it is. And I was just going to say, like, what, because of the keyboards, those they kind of have that sound of, like, mandolins, like mm-hmm. Viennese mandolins playing and, and accordion stuff. It really kind of brings, I mean, obviously they were familiar, familiar with this style of song from living in Hamburg for almost a year 
I would be if you sorry, combine no. all the times together. It'd be interesting also to have like a whole series of songs that people took uh, unironically that were uh, meant sort of as jokey songs yeah. or darker songs. You get a little "Born in the USA" playing, and uh, then you get a little of this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on "Girl"? Sounds like nope. you probably no. Really surprises me. All why, right. Why? Well, because normally you have a lot of information. Well, there's some songs I think my favorite songs I want to talk about a lot, like Norwegian Wood. But you know, Girls, a good song. I mean, it is a good I, I like song. the song a lot. Hey, we're not. Uh, I think this. I think this is a Beatles tops, slamming you know, so. podcast. No, no, no. Not at all, all right. Uh, next song we got. I'm looking through you. Yeah, another song that they recorded. Actually, recorded three different versions of this song, despite the fact that they were under the gun. They. Paul McCartney still felt that need to get that song absolutely right. Sorry, John, let's get through your song really quickly and then we'll get to mine. <laughs> um, he, uh, if you listen to, uh, the, there's a version on Anthology, which was the first version, which I actually prefer that version to the album version. Why is that? I just like it more. I just think it's kind of, it's more quirky and interesting. And it could be just that I'm now I'm looking for the deep cuts because yeah. I'm a jaded Beatles listener. But I've if heard you were hearing songs. both songs for the very first time and it's impossible to actually put yourself in that position, do you think you would enjoy that song, hearing it for the first time more than you would have yeah. hearing this one for yeah. the first time? It's got more of a garage sound to it. I just kind of like that uh, sound okay. to it more too. Do you think it would appeal to an audience of that day more than, uh, than this one? I don't see why not. All right, then. I see it would have been playing into what was happening in the States at that time. And uh, this is another one of their uh, semi-bitter songs. Another Jane Asher-inspired song. Oh, boy. Poor Jane. You, you know, Jane, I hope she got a couple of bucks out of the deal, because she sure did inspire a lot of songs. The second version of it was more like this version, only much faster and kind of frenetic, so they, they backed it backed off a little bit. And, and he yelled, and this one's of, for you, Jane, right off God, the top. That's right. And what's, <laughs> no interesting, what's interesting about the song is that uh, Ringo plays organ on it, as well as drums. Oh, good for him. Yeah. He does a little bit of organ stabbing. All right. And, of course, as usual... Uh, oh, I had one other thing to say about Please Girl. Do. I'm sorry I forgot it. Which is in Girl, there was a, a fuzz guitar part that Harrison played on it that actually was, was edited out. They just they just took the track off when they, oh, okay. when they did the mix. Yeah, they decided... And George is listening to the album going, it, The Hill! Yeah, that's oh, right. Oh, damn, we promised we wouldn't do the accent. They probably either. talked about it with them, but I think they decided, because they were doing this sort of German-sounding song, this sort of cabaret song, that it made it sound too contemporary to have a, a fuzz guitar George, you're cut. What? We don't have time. I'm moving on to my next song. Got yeah. a, a lot, a lot yeah. of time for my song. we got to do I'm Looking Through You again. <laughs> again? So, yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything you want to say about this? No, song? I think that was uh, that was about all that is to be said. Yes, it's it's a good song. It's fun because we're getting on to another to, to one of their Ringo again plays not only plays organ on it, he plays drums and he also does his his lap slapping like he did in uh, in uh, I'll Follow the Sun and he he apparently played a matchbox as well <laughs> as a percussion instrument. I hear that nowadays he still plays the same lap he did back then. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a tradition. There's his song lap dance. <laughs> Great, famous. Now, was that on his country album? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, I will avoid that. Yeah. And now we have his uh, buku of blue songs. <laughs> All right, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get into this one. All right, here we go. Ready? <laughs> and you got another uh, comment? Mm -hmm. No, it's fine. If you do, it's fine. Okay. It's your podcast. You own half of this. <laughs> All right. And now we're getting into uh, in my life, which is the oh, it just like knocks you. Knocks what you a back. moment, hey? This is like you're uh, you're out swimming, you're having a good time, and then mm -hmm. a wave comes. It's like, oh, that looks like it's getting bigger. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty big. Oh, geez, bam, and uh, yeah, it hits you. This this song is so important to the album because it gives the album so much more depth. Oh my god! Than that it would have without it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it it certainly does. Like this one, and it doesn't me... have a dizzy Miss Lizzie to wreck it right after. Whereas yesterday could be that song on Help. Yeah, but it's followed by this stupid song that kind of wrecks its its effect you know? I, fi I find this one balances doesn't resonate the same this balances out nowhere man a little bit more mm -hmm. too because mm -hmm. nowhere man is the guy who's not aware of what's going on okay. and it's like go out yeah and this is the person with perspective yeah who's reflecting yeah. back 
And it's like, oh, okay. And who's lived that life that maybe the nowhere man at the beginning has not yet? He, this person has gone out and done things. Yeah. How many funerals do you think this song has been played at? Quite a few, I guess. Quite a few. Yeah, I guess it's pretty meaningful in that way. Yeah, I really, I really do think like it's it's the song yeah. that like it's like it's the song that you know when you think when you think uh, uh, it was it written by John Lennon. Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean and, and McCartney. Yeah. Okay, but for some they reason they were still working closely together. Like when whenever you hear like John Lennon. Uh, or like there's something about John Lennon. It's either this song or Imagine. Those mm. are the two mm-hmm. that they always... He really to. liked the song. He liked it so much. He tried to take all the writing credit for himself. Eh. And so much he liked it. And uh, and the uh, and the audience went, oh, we don't, we don't care about that because at all. We don't care. <laughs> we were just enjoying the song. Yeah. Hey, yeah, you wrote this and you did that and you brought the drums and you brought the sandwiches. Who gives <laughs> a darn? We don't. Just we enjoy it. But who's the fifth Beatle? Who's the fifth Beatle? Um, so... What's interesting about the song is it started as a lyric. Dave, you are. I am the fifth Beatle. This uh, this year they had the uh, <laughs> the fifth the fifty awards, and well, as, uh, every year they vote for the new fifth Beatle. And this year it's you. As former fifth Beatles die, it'll eventually will come to me. You're right. All right. Um, it started as a lyric rather than a song, which is interesting. What was the lyric? Uh, for in my life. Okay, but started, when you're saying when it started as a lyric, what was the Well, I, normally when the Beatles wrote a song, it was just music. Then they would kind of just mm. fill it in with diamond rings and yeah, 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 and I love you, I want to hold your hand and all those sort of things. Kind of placeholder, almost placeholder lyrics that just kind of, you know, fit into the, the music they'd written. In this case, Lennon started with a lyrical idea, and then the music was written to fit that lyrical idea. Good. Yeah, yeah, good. And what he started with was the idea of, um, it actually initially started with him sort of, Describing a bus ride from his home on Menlo, Va- Menlo Va- Avenue, right into Liverpool, Liverpool Town Centre, describing all the various, you know, kind of landmarks and and neighbourhoods along the way. It even referenced Penny Lane. And when I was uh, in England, my I guess my second trip, I went to the British Museum, and they had two uh, Beatles lyrics there. They had the lyrics for "Please Please Me." That was one that had the teachers "Please See Me After School." Right. Or he just said, see me after, after class. And then the other one was the original lyrics for In My Life, which are totally different than, than what the song was. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, they were this long, almost a sort of, uh, this sort of just a, a Google map, you know, this your Google directions to get from Menlo Avenue to Liverpool Town Centre. But it was so unwieldy that Lennon couldn't make it work. Like, he just, right. and he was trying, he tried to edit it down, he tried to change it. He, it was really frustrating. He just gave up. He just, I quit. Forget about it. Let's do something else. And as soon as he said that, as soon as he sat back, the lyrics came into his Boom. mind. Yeah, and he just wrote this. He wrote the lyrics for "In My Life." So then, it seems really good for him to give up. <laughs> you know? Well, it's good for all of us to stop for a second and to just let our subconscious do some work for well, a change. Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is something I was thinking about the other day as I was just starting to go to sleep a little bit, mm. and uh, the dreams kicked in. But like, I was still awake enough to realize it. And full scenarios are playing out, and I'm going like, "This is really clever." And I don't feel it has anything to do with me, and yet I'm sharing. It's like a roommate that's real clever and only comes out when you're sleeping or when yeah. you're, you know, and or, or will just yell something through a wall at you and just like, you know, hamburger patties or uh, death. Yeah. What? And now you've written a hit song and you're like, hey, technically it's my brain because uh, it's renting space in there. But yeah, it's sometimes you just got to just got to be quiet. Let yourself be quiet enough to boom, yeah. let it go. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful song. And so Lennon, of course, he, Lennon claimed to have written the entire song except for the verse harmony and and the middle eight and McCartney on the other hand said that he took John's lyrics while he was at uh, the visiting John for writing session and he went over to the Mellotron and he he set it to music there who's telling the truth that doesn't doesn't really matter it doesn't nope. you know it's you know Lennon remembered a certain way and Lennon was a little drug addled his memory of what happened in the 60s were was not that clear because he was there you know 
kind of like me. I have no memory of the 60s because I was there as well. Um, you were also three. Yes, that helped. Um, but you did do some amazing albums. Yes, <laughs> photo albums. I was, took part of them. Yeah. Now, here's, the, here's the thing I think that's a nice takeaway from, you know, uh, well, we're, if we're looking at, like, big themes. One, one thing is, uh, you know, uh, be okay with, like, uh, uh, you know, qu- quitting. Because even when you quit or stop, things can come. Don't mm-hmm. don't be afraid of doing that. Yeah. And the other thing is, when a mistake happens, embrace it. Embrace that. Because yeah. that's some, uh, you know, therein that's lies. the universe telling Those something. are the two places the yeah. genius seems to come out of. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then you've got to add a hell of a lot of hard work. Yes. Crazy hard work and, and hopefully good, and a deadline. Luck. And good luck. Good luck and a deadline. Yeah. You know, and you mix all those together and you get what we mm-hmm. got here. Mm-hmm. So now, when they recorded the song, they left the middle eight, the, that section, unfinished. It is blank. So they weren't sure what they are going to do there, if they are going to add, like... Uh, instrumental part or they're gonna add a uh, sung part they weren't sure and so while they were out of the studio george martin had an idea and so what he did was he recorded it when they weren't there probably because he didn't want to tr- have to try and describe it to them mm-hmm. and they're saying yeah george i don't think that's going to work so he just did it and then played it for them so he had this idea for this kind of broke instrumental break and so he didn't have a harpsichord at hand and so what he did was well at first he tried it with a hammond organ and then he used an electric piano which he recorded at half speed and then it was played back so he played it. It wasn't recorded at half speed, sorry. He played it at half speed. And then it was rec- played back at double speed. Oh, okay. That gave it that kind of piercing harpsichord-like sound. And also, sound it was very fast. Oh, interesting. All and right. So, yeah. And so that's how that was created. And so then he played it. He kind of inserted it. And then the Beatles heard it and said, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. That works. How much it really works in ter- terms of what the song is saying, I'm not too sure. Kind of a strange moment in the song to suddenly have this sort of harpsichord jump into it. It's a beautiful moment. And has that little kind of glissando at the end where he kind of... And now we know jumps. it so well as that that it's hard to think of anything think of but it. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But no, some good yeah. risks in there and a hell of a song. Also, if, you, if, you're the, if you're the girl who's listening and a certain type of boy, if you're uh, either those listening on your bed and you thought Michelle was the song mm. that was going to make you melt, yeah. that one is just going to make you cry. That one's just <laughs> going to stop you and uh, you're going to be shaking. You better go mm-hmm. get yourself a bit of ice cream or a blanket or something. I don't something. know how much a young person would, would relate to it. You think? That's interesting. Maybe you do need the context yeah. for that. But the idea of like in my life, I loved you more. Like the idea that uh, of everything, yeah. you're the most important thing in my life. Okay. If anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's oh, what, that's what you yeah, want yeah. as a girl. Is like sure. you're special. Listen you're so that, yeah. special. Mm-hmm. You're you're it. Now I don't envy the song that comes next because my God, how can you follow that? Well, here we go. We're on to wait. Oh, you got more to say? Yeah, I just want to say one more thing about uh, no. <laughs> okay, we're on to wait. Yeah. This Which? this song to me is. Uh, your boyfriend's back and he doesn't want trouble. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, I like the uh, I like the line in here. The uh, you know I've I've been good with a big asterisk, which is as good as I can be. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I've been as good as I. Let's let's not go crazy. I'm not gonna be. But I, I've tried my best on this one. Well, interestingly enough, this song was another revived song. It was recorded during the help sessions, but and I think it's kind of better than some of the songs that are on the actual album help. But it wasn't included on that album so they kind of had it in the bag so they revived it for this one added some did some overdubs on it to kind of update the sound for rubber soul but you know it has that that tone pedal sound okay that you know that wah wah sound that that's used in the yes it is and in uh i need you and uh and which i think is better integrated in this song but it's uh than it was in i need you i, I love it in yes it is but uh, but that kind of kind of puts it back into the help sound, and it does have kind of a bit of a that transitional Beatlemania sound to it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where it's yeah, not okay. quite as it's not quite as 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 uh, new sounding as as other songs on Rubber. Yeah, song. what I feel about this song is anything you put after in my life 
is going to be is going <laughs> to suffer. So it's this. Yeah. It t- it it took the hit, and we're moving on. Sure. We're fine. It uh, did the job. Your palate is cleansed. You're probably still thinking of how good that last song was. Well, this yeah. one's playing. Yeah. Wanting to hear that song again. Sure. Uh, but uh, there you go. So. Once okay. again, this is one of those songs that I go like it's it's still a Beatles song, so mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah. But it's not one that people will ever go and that's my top five. No, you're not gonna put in your top five, but it's one of those songs that you don't remember and when you hear it, when you listen to Rubber Soul after you haven't listened to it for a while, you go, Oh yeah, the song. Yeah, that's that good. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a fun that's song. That's a kid in school I remember. Yeah. Yeah, the guy who always had the pencils. That's a fun Old song. pencil guy. I like that sure. guy fine. You gonna call him after the reunion? Nah. But it's fine. It's good. And you'll see him at the next reunion and everything's gonna be good. Sure. Uh, after that, if I needed someone. Another George Harrison song, his second song for the album. Yeah, it's uh, it 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 has something in in this song that uh, was also in the uh, I've just seen your face. Okay, know that song, which sure. is uh, the uh, if you'd come another day, this probably wouldn't have happened. Okay, so the relationship, is, you know, uh, it's just a, b- a bunch of relationship uh, thing is, is luck. luck. It's like sure. another day. If you in that sure. song, if you come another day, I might have looked the other way. Yeah, and uh, this one's a similar uh, similar deal. Maybe if it was another day, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, and so there you go. We're not destined to be. So we've we've talked about the American versions of the Beatles albums. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Dave Dexter Jr., most Beatles fans' uh, biggest enemy, and one of the because of how he sliced up how the he albums? sliced and diced the albums. Yeah, and right. And each added, album came with a hamburger. Uh, drenched them in reverb for no particular reason. Oh, okay. Um, one of the things about uh, Rubber Soul that's interesting is that four songs were taken off the album, and those four songs were Drive My Car, mm-hmm. No War Man. What goes on? And if I needed someone? Well, I don't agree. Those with songs were that at all. Those songs were all taken off of it, and then two songs from Help that were te- kept off Help were added. One is, uh, <laughs> I've just seen it. What Help or Beatles for Sale? I've just seen a face. No, that's on Help. I've just seen a face, and uh, it's only love. So, and what they were trying to do was make it seem as more like a folk rock album. So that it would fit into the folk rock trend that was kind of burgeoning in America. May I say the folk rock trend that the Beatles created with their use of the 12-string guitar on uh, on A Hard Day's Night and Beatles for Sale. Dave, and... I've never seen you this angry before. And so, yeah. And <laughs> Put so... down that knife. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, it's just so wrong to make the Beatles yeah. seem like they're following now, a trend rather than fe- leading has it. This fe- what's the fellow's name again? Dave Dexter Jr. Dave Dexter Jr. Yeah. Now, of course, Dave Dexter Jr. made infinite money, I'm sure, because it was the Beatles. Well, no, he just worked for capital. He made cap- capital infinite money. He just oh. was an executive. Okay, so he did a job that made because you yeah. you got gold. You just put in gold in different. Yeah. Now, uh, my question to you about uh, about this is: uh, Was he ever publicly shamed? By me? By anyone? Did people go? What was that crap? Like when they <laughs> when they when they heard the regular albums? Is well, there just a common have, people thing? People wouldn't have known. I mean, you wouldn't. You never heard like the first, my first version of revolver that i heard was um was the american version which was missing four john lennon songs so it was this weird paul mccartney heavy album and i didn't know why because i didn't know that Uh. there was something different it wasn't until the cds came out in the mid 80s then they decided to you know chuck the u.s albums and just release them as the british ones that's when i first heard them now when did uh when did the idea of like export stores uh come into north america where you could maybe get uh, British uh, album. I'm not sure of that. I'm, maybe you could have at the time, but I don't think so. I, I know that uh, talking to friends who are who are older than me and who had friends like visit England, they would bring back albums. Yeah, yeah. But they were so different because they had a different sleeve. They, their sleeves were different because unlike the North American ones that that had the paper cover the back, so the the British ones had a tab that folded over the front that and then was glued to the back cover. So it was quite a bit different, and they were made of a glossier, softer cardboard. I'm wondering, uh, cardboard. you know, if people, uh, North Americans, 
at that time. Uh, when they listened to the the British albums, got a little annoyed and went like, "Ugh, that doesn't sound right." Because you know you fall in love oh, with yeah. what you fall in love with, yeah, right? Probably. And then uh, someone goes, "No, this is the correct way." Yeah. That this is like, oh, balderdash. They say. I know. You know which I is a weird s- thing for an American to say. I would say that's like wrong. I would say that's wrong because when I got the CD for Revolver and I heard the the songs that were missing from the American one, and I didn't have today, I didn't have yesterday and today, so I didn't I didn't know I didn't know the the songs that were missing. Mm-hmm. So when I first heard those songs in the context of Revolver, it just blew me away how, how much even greater it was as an album, right. you know. And uh, and I remember going to some people's house and they had they had the album, they had the US album version of Rubber Soul and I listened to it and I'd never heard it before. I'd only heard the CD. And I was so disappointed that it didn't <laughs> open with Drive My Car, which is like a What does it open, open with? I've just seen a face. Uh, it's it's bouncy, but I don't I, yeah. yeah. No. It's not I'm, an opening song. Dis- disagree. Disagree. So okay. this, what's so, what's interesting about the song is that, so George Harrison, who of course influenced so much of the folk rock movement with the, like the 12 string guitar, this song is heavily influenced by the Bells of Rimney, which is a song that the birds covered on their first album, Mr. Tambourine Man. It's actually uh, an adaptation of a, of a Welsh poem by Pete Seeger. Oh, but okay. But the birds did their birdsy version of it with the 12 string <laughs> guitar and stuff like that. And so George Harrison heard that. And so he incorporated that 12 string sound into this song. And once again, killer paul mccartney bass sound to the song like even if you get a little bit tired of the chiming <laughs> guitars in the song that bass will carry you through to the end because it's just a wonderful bass part oh, beautiful all right and uh final song on the uh wait no am i wrong yeah no final song on the album final song on the album yeah. is uh now this is an interesting one this is your run for your life first song recorded for the album that was recorded for it proper for the october 12th when they started their sessions this, uh, this song is uh this is uh some harshness here this is uh this is a uh, hardcore this is uh it almost feels like, uh, you know, I mean, they've had songs about jealousy before, mm-hmm. but this one is just full on going for it yeah. and feels an odd choice to end your album with. What's a peppy song, though? Oh, it's definitely peppy. But yeah. what it's saying is very, very dark. And like when when you're talking on previous uh, episodes, I've listened to some of them. Um, I enjoy our early work. Um, <laughs> what, what you're saying was uh, what you want at the end of an album is you want to go, oh, I want to listen to that again. Yeah. Flip it over and yeah. see how it goes. Yeah. And uh, so you'd be going from run for your life to baby, you can drive my car. Mm-hmm. That seems but that not, seems jarring. It just seems jarring, but you're not reacting to the lyrics as much as to the music when, when you listen to an album. So Well, when you, you know, start with like, you know, I, I mean, you do react to the lyrics because you're, you know, when they're having songs about love and I love you and love, love, love. Mm-hmm. And this one is the first thing is, well, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that, there's no, uh, sugarcoating it. That's, that's pretty hardcore. What's, and you don't, these guys don't have to be sunshine and roses. They can, uh, they can be this if they want to be this. Well, what's funny about those lyrics that you're quoting is they're actually stolen by Lennon from a Elvis Presley song called Baby Let's Play House. So he, Borrowed those wow, first okay. two lines, yeah, and then he wrote the rest of the song around them. Okay, but even without those lines, you better run for your life if you can, yeah, little girl. Yeah. Catch you with so another man, and mm-hmm. that's the end, little girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I'm going to kill you if you're with another. It's not just, hey, who's that guy? Which is, there's been a, a series of Beatles, hey, you're with that guy. Well, I don't care for that very much, but this is, if I see you with a guy, mm-hmm. you're dead. And that's just not something you you want the four mop tops to be saying is like, I'm I'm going to kill you if, you, uh, if you're with well, a... John's had other aggressive songs, but absolutely. But the, this song, yeah, is jealousy is, is a theme un- in Je- in John's life, and this is a right straight to it. This is and an unreconstructed. As an artist, you can do it. Song, yeah. Well, it's uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. and sometimes honesty is sexist. But I mean, in the context of the time, it wouldn't have seemed that that crazy. Like, really? For, yeah, for us to look back at it 
Yeah, like I say, it's taken from another popular song by Elvis Presley that no one was shocked by, no one commented on. How many years believe before me was when that I tell song? You, believe me when I tell you that uh-huh. no one who listened to the song at the time commented on it the way that you're commenting uh, okay, on it. Okay, but here's the thing. Like, Elvis singing this kind of song, he had a lot of songs. Of, all right. Elvis, Elvis seemed more connected to the country. And, uh, you know, his big hit was Heartbreak Hotel, which is about a suicide hotel. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's a lot of dark in, in, in Elvis's stuff. Yeah. And, you know, things with the country are, I'm going to hunt you down, I'm going to kill you. Okay, I can sort of see that for, for, you know, what he was influenced by. Yeah. But by the time we get to this, with the other songs we've heard on all of the albums, yeah. this one is jarring in context. There's no other song that compares to this. All the other ones are just, I'm in the bushes watching you. And that's as creepy as it gets. Like, I don't care for no, this that you're with, uh, not returning my phone call. There's a song, there's, there's a song. I can't remember what it is now because, because that's, it's three shows back, but there's a song on, on the second you side of Hard to Day's show Night. Sometime. I should. There's a song on the second side of Hard Day's Night that's quite aggressive. It's not aggressive as this song is, but uh, and Lennon in later life he he uh, said he hated the song, and but actually but he would write Lennon later he'd write the you know I'm just a jealous guy mm-hmm. like he would he would comment on his but jealousy. That, that and song other is a lot is a lot subtler than this song. Is. This song is pretty... well that one he's sorry about it. Like uh, I mean that song is you know uh, I I used to be. You know, really, really bad. And I'm sorry I made you cry and all that kind of stuff. But this one, yeah, is like, uh, wow. But um, I, actually, I quite like this song. I think this song's lots of fun. No, you can like, you can like this song. And, it's absolutely uh, fine. W- one thing I was thinking about with this song is in context of the comedy album thing. When you listen to this song, it's a, it's a very rough song. Mm-hmm. It's recorded very roughly. The guitars are a little out of tune if you listen to it. Lennon, several times he pops peas. And uh, so it made me wonder if this is like another kind of pastiche of, you know, it borrows, it borrows from Elvis Presley and has a very rockabilly kind of sound to it. I just wonder, is it just kind of another pastiche or they just kind of having more, this having fun with the con? Do you know what song this reminds me of and is um, uh, O Sinner Man? I don't know that song. O Sinner Man, where are you going to run to? O Sinner Man, where are you going to run to? And it's, uh, you know, I've run to the rock, but, you know, you can't run to the rock. I run to the sea. Oh, you can't run. Because, you know, uh, all on that day, it's a person who's going to pay for their sins. Okay, okay. Uh, be- and there's been a couple of versions of it that are really, really good. Yeah. But, yeah, this just p- pictures someone as almost the, uh, you know, omnipresent figure that, yeah. like, I'm going to find you no matter where you are. You can't hide from your sins. Mm-hmm. I'm coming. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Hey, listen, listen to Over Cinder Man and, and see what you think. See if I'm uh, making connections that aren't there between those two. And when people say they're going to kill someone, they so very rarely mean it. I also like to point that out. You know, there's this, this thing that, you know, a love that is so strong that he just feels like if this girl in any way strayed from him, that he would just kill her. Oh, it's a... It's, I mean, that's... I mean, it's that's a standard... It's that kind of crazy threatening It's a standard love, you know? country yeah. thing, especially country mm-hmm. uh, thing. Uh, but when... There's, I think there's very little warm up to get to this. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of songs about a lot of stuff, but the Beatles don't sing about those things either. Yeah. You know, there's this, uh, this one, uh, comes across a little bit jarring. When you've had, uh, you heard the word is love, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, all this other stuff in the, yeah. in my life. This, this is a short ride from in my life to this. You know, there are many facets to life. And wanting to murder the person who you're, uh, yeah. he's not wanting of. to murder her. He's saying he's threatening to murder her. He's them. not even threatening to murder her. Pretty much, uh, that's what it seems to be like. No, how have you never said that to someone? If you break that, if you break that thing, I will kill you. You've never said that to I anyone. Haven't, I haven't said it repeatedly and made a whole song. No, about but I'm just it. saying, I mean, in the context of the song, he's just saying it in the song. You know right? what? Uh, Dave, here's the thing. Uh, we're both married. If he's if, a ca- Dave, we're both married. Yeah. If we both said to our wives, you break that thing and I'll kill you. Yeah. We're, we were having a rough, 
We're I, having a real rough time. I just said to my wife the other day that I was going to break her head okay. at the dinner table. Well, to be fair, your wife is a pinata. <laughs> it was just in and the moment. Full of, uh, full it's of delicious candy. Moment, you know? I can't endorse that either. I, I know can't. You can't. You know, and I don't think I you're you asking can't. me to. I don't. I know you can't. And I wasn't saying it in a, this podcast. Took I was a saying turn. it in a joking way. Oh well, there we go. Then you know, all right. So I mean, I just you just wonder how much this song is passed. Now the rest of your family, did they all have their jaws unhitched at you, that point? Was it quiet for like about ten minutes? The one the one problem you have with the with the Beatles songs uh-huh. is it really take really wakens the PC part of us. Oh no, it does. No, bull- it does. Sorry to say that, but it does. Bull- nonsense. Because if we lived in the sixties, nope. we would not react to the song this nope, way. No, I disagree. No, this no, is, no, this is, no, no, I know, and you've said that before, and I always disagree when you say that. I think that's nonsense. Because you live now. You no, don't live nonsense. Then. You don't live this then. is this is just out of con when you talk about context. Yeah. This song, when you look at any of their other songs, yeah. takes such a radical turn yeah. that forget about... It takes a know, radical... But why does it take a radical turn? Like, why is it radical? Because it's radical to have a song about, I'm going to kill you. Why, though? Why is that radical? Oh, like, uh, because say, you because anything that you've... All right. But what's wrong with him saying that? It's not the... Okay, there's two things. All right. Is it wrong that okay, he thinks you're, that? Okay, you're going down two roads. Okay. One, you're going down, is it wrong? Yeah. And then, is it radical? Radical okay. means different than everything that's come before. Yeah. Wrong means ethical problem with it. Yeah. Which road do you want to go down? Okay, let's go ethical problem with it. Ethical problem yeah. with it. What's the ethical uh, problem? The ethical problem with it is uh, you're saying you're going to kill somebody yeah. because they don't love you anymore. Yeah. And if you if you set up in the other songs here what love is... Then I don't think one they... song, one song you did. The other song, you're looking through someone. They're not the same. You're going to leave them. Okay, I know? think threatening to kill somebody. I'm just saying. I think threatening to kill somebody in your sure. song mm-hmm. uh, does feel ethically wrong. Okay, and that's not PC. I it, think it, I think PC is cheap. That's I'm a saying, cheap shot. Okay, I won't say that to you then. What yeah. I'll say is that for you, as an enlightened post-feminist man it's hard to hear these words <laughs> these are all nonsense words but no it's true though no, we the, live in a different time that we have uh-huh. totally different feelings about uh, what women's roles are in the world right and our relationship to women mm-hmm. and how women should be treated it's totally different right you know okay john lennon was a man who hit women mm-hmm. you know he was a well-known person who abused his wife right and had abusive relationships with other women and and, and he corrected that and he he you know, he apologized for it. When when did he do the apologizing for it? You know, as he grew older, as you know, when he you know, as his life changes, he changes a person. Okay, wait a second. Now, 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 you know? now, that's two things. That's okay. two very different things. Okay, you're saying he ch- he changed and apologized for it. Yeah. When now did did it did it change when he changed or did it change when the world changed? Because if it changed no, when the I'd world changed, I'd say he was changed, part of that change. I'd say he's part he of that was change. part of yeah. the change. Sure. Okay, so those two things are connected. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I would say he's a person that led that kind of change of how people related to each other and mm-hmm. reacted to each other and stuff right. like that that he knew that he was wrong to do that as a person and he changed that part of himself as a person right you know now this song you know is that kind of, exists in that time when people didn't like like i say for every every person who heard the song right no one reacted the way you're reacting to it okay you know well I mean? how do you know like because, how do you know how everyone reacted? Because if you read contemporary reviews of the album, okay, well, no, there's no, 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 that's there's okay. no reaction yeah, you're to talking that song about, in that way. You're talking about reviewers. I'm talking about you're you're a girl, yeah, and you're sitting on on a bed with you know your friends, and yeah. you're all listening to the song, okay, and and you love John Lennon, sure. and you love Paul, yeah, and you scream when you hear these guys, and yeah. they're amazing, sure. And John Lennon is now singing a song, going like, li- he or, loves you so much that. Well, that's not really what he's saying. He's not saying he loves you so much. He's saying if you if I see you with someone else, yeah. you're dead. 
Because and, but why? Why is he saying that though? What, if you're oh, a no, young no. girl, you're, you're to that. equating jealousy yeah. with love, and that's not necessarily the case. There's nothing in this song that says he loves you. The, the, all, all that's in the song is saying you're not going to cheat on me, yeah. or I'll kill you. Yeah, that's not love. Sure. And so you're a girl listening to this. Mm-hmm. How's that feel to you? It's like oh him. You know, maybe some <laughs> of them. That's great. But that's that's setting you up for like you know. Yeah. I guess I had it coming. I guess that's the way it is, you know? Sure. That was a big, big attitude in those days, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I don't this, think it's a good attitude. Me, I'm just saying, you know. This to me isn't a Warner Brothers cartoon yeah. where all of a sudden Bugs Bunny's in blackface <laughs> and dancing to Camp Town Races and yeah. you go, that was the time it was. Yeah. I think just period to it's me. Wrong. It's yeah. wrong. And I, f- I feel like when, when it says, like, it's the time, it's now, you're enlightened, you're a feminist, you're PC, you da da da, white yeah. privilege. I don't know, whatever we want to throw it on, throw on to it. You know, I just, I think, just think for us as people who live now, right. we, we can't see it in at all in the context of that time period mm-hmm. because our entire worldview okay, is completely different. But there different. were things in the past that are just wrong. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, I can go extreme and that sure. seems cheap, but you can think of the things I'm thinking of right sure. now, right? Sure. The things that were wrong in the past were wrong. They weren't just wrong because, oh, it's the time and what are you going to do? Yeah. They were wrong because they're wrong. Yeah. We're looking back and we realize they were wrong, not sure. just because we're in the future, okay. but because they were wrong back then, yeah. we just didn't deal with them. Sure. And you can say like the reviewers of the time mm-hmm. didn't say anything. Yeah. But you don't know what the people were thinking because like millions of people bought well, these al- or hundreds say, of thousands of people bought these albums. Uh, well, I would say the reviewers are the people. They're not just, I mean, why would you separate them from normal people? Because because reviewers are kind of uh, raised up a little bit. Reviewers are yeah. looking at things. So they would a, they would have a, to me, they would have a more enlightened view of, of it than the, your normal people. If you were to judge, say, Beverly Hillbillies yeah. by what the reviewers say yeah. versus what the people watching it say, sure. you would probably get... A jarring difference yeah. of like you know, well, it's this hit comedy that blah blah blue, yeah. and then the people watching are just like, I'm just enjoying it. Yeah. I'm enjoying it on this base level. Sure. Now, you know, when the when the reviewer is reviewing the Beatles thing and going like, well, I can clearly see the country influences and yeah. you know the context of this and music has always had a history of blah, you know, but the girl sitting on the bed and the boy sitting next to her who's who's learning from this and is going like. Ah, oh, that's the way it is, eh? Because because the other songs on this album yeah. are listen. Let me tell you how to live your life, nowhere, man. This is the thing. This is how life is. And in my life, okay, this is the kind of context you get from life. And now we're going to wrap up with this last song. Hey, you know, uh, and it just is like what the what the hell? Okay, well, let's disagree to disagree. All right, we will disagree. And uh, you know, you know what uh, makes a podcast good? Conflict. Conflict. That's why we brought this in. That's right. Well, I didn't bring it in. The uh, <laughs> the Beatles did. The Beatles did. But um. You know, I agree with but you. But what do you guys? What do you guys out there think? This might be a good one for you to chime in on. Sure. And it's one of those answer. where there maybe there is no right answer. You know, maybe I'm right, uh, but maybe there is no right answer. <laughs> and all I want to say is, if you disagree with me, I will kill you. I will murder you. I will murder anyone. And guys, come on, let's look at the time. Let's look at the time. Let's look at what. Nowadays. Let's look at what internet sure. message boards are now, Dave. Mm-hmm. Look at what a YouTube page is and what they say on those things. It's the time. There's nothing wrong with what people are saying. It's just now. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. And that brings us to the end of... No, it doesn't. Because... This album. Oh, this album. That's true. Yes. So we're going to put this album on the shelf. There we go. I'm putting it in my KTEL record collection. Well, can I just say a couple final things just about... Well, we can... And by a record collection, I meant that record holder that KTEL had. That means you can flip your albums. Okay. I will, I will do the final facts, what I called my final facts, after we do the singles. Because there is was this your aftertext? Aftertext. 
there there were two there was a single and what's interesting is you called it a, an a side and a b side what's interesting about the singles was there was no b side uh, explain well they needed they needed a single of course because they had to release their their uh, four singles a year right and so uh basically they wrote day tripper it's very very heavily based on drive my car okay and uh now it's a date now i've heard a couple things for day tripper day tripper i've heard is like you're just taking a day trip, a la their magical mystery tour, as a, a la that kind of thing. You just take a day trip. Okay. But I've also heard that it means uh, being someone who is just uh, not committed to, um, say, uh, kind of the lifestyle of, like, you yeah. know, being a rocker, being it, a hippie. It, it could be you're two just a, ways. You're a weekend hippie is what I've heard. Well, John Lennon, in retrospect, referred to the song as, ref- yeah, being like being like weekend hippies so people who weren't committed to the hippie lifestyle or whatever but they weren't hippies then that's what i was going to say he's actually anachronistic when he says that because they were still hippies were a long way away from day tripper right 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 so and the original in when he was wrote the first words for it was she's a teaser not she's a big teaser okay so she only takes you half the way there okay so you know another way it's someone who won't fully commit to uh, either a sexual relationship or a relationship at all. Okay. So it's really, it's hard to know. This song, both Lennon We are really violating our general... Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll Sorry, do some uh, bleeping. Yeah, we'll I'll do some bleeping at the end. Okay. The, um, um, yeah, that was the original lyric, though. Was, was So obviously it was changed to make it more acceptable to, to people. And um, it, both Lennon McCartney admitted in an interview in 1966 that this song was forced. They had to write a single, okay. and so this song was just absolutely just made up on the spot, you know, created to appeal, you know, he- obviously said heavily influenced by Drive My Car, which they'd recorded the day before the song was was written and recorded, and so it was just very quickly done. And uh, actually, Otis Redding heard the song and recognized the influence of respect in it, and needed a cover of it, a really frenetic kind of crazy cover of of uh, Day Tripper. Oh, interesting! I'd like to hear that. And. Um, yeah, and so this was going to be the single, the, the A-side, until Paul McCartney brought in We Can Work It Out. And when he brought in We Can Work It Out, and they recorded We Can Work It Out, the three Beatles felt that that should be the A-side. One Beatle, John, who wrote Day Tripper, wrote the majority of Day Tripper, felt that Day Tripper should be the A-side. And so they had this incredible argument about it. And so they reached a compromise that it would be a double A-side. So both sides were A-sides. So oh. Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out were both the A's were both promoted this, as the A-side was single. Was this the first time they've ever done that? Where they, uh... that was a, this was the very first A-side in the history of pop music. Wow. And, but when Point of Sales and El- record, or like air, radio play, if you count that, We Can Work It Out was actually the more favorite song. It was actually the A-side. Now, in this uh, Day Tripper, when uh, you're talking about the original lyrics that yes. we you know, will not say again. Yes, we will not say again. Because, you know what, we're proper gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Even though I think I swore a little bit earlier. Um, <laughs> when he said, tried to please her, she only played one night stands. Is that meaning the same thing that one night stand means now? I think so. Yeah. I think they were being that was a common double entendre. Term. Double entendre. Yeah. One night stand meant mm-hmm. the same thing back then? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this seems to be what this is about completely. So it's, a, well, because, I mean, in that term, one night stand also meant like just one concert not having a uh, not having a residency in a in a oh, club I or whatever. Oh, I got you. I got you. But also, yeah, a double entendre. There's meaning. a lot of uh, this is like triple entendres yeah. in this one. This song should just be called entendre. Drive my car also had a sexual element to it oh, as well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's not ruin that song for everybody now, too. <laughs> now uh, the other A side. Then you know why we like this. Uh, we like the double A things because we're Canadian. Mm. As many A's as we can get into this, <laughs> we're uh, we're happy with. 
Yay. Um, I wonder if they've ever done that on a Canadian album. It had like an A side with like an EH. Um, and then we have We Can Work It Out. We Can Work It Out. Yep. Once again, another Jane Asher inspired song. Oh, is that? You but, know what? Good for Asher. But but in another way, it's a, this was a real like a real Lennon-McCartney song because it's a real split. Like so, Lennon or McCartney wrote the chorus and verses, and then Lennon wrote the the middle eight. I think we call it middle eight. I think it's a little longer than that. But um, the uh, I guess it's a sixteen. I think it's a sixteen bar middle. But anyway, he wrote yeah. that section of it. You know the, you know all the fussing and fighting, my friend. You know life is very short. Blah blah blah. I really, by the way, I like that line a lot. Mm-hmm, yeah. I love like it's very it's very rare to have like something like that. Very mature lyric and a rock and roll song of that yeah. era of just like look, life's very yeah. short. There's no time for this. Busting and fighting. And then when they brought it into the studio, it was Harrison's idea to turn that section into a kind of waltz time. Okay. Just and then and then add the harmonium. Uh, John Lennon plays a harmonium in this song, which is kind of like a has sort of an organ sound. It's sort of a, a pump, almost like an accordion okay, yeah. organ thing, hurdy gurdy. I also my other my other favorite lyric uh, in this is uh, "Do I have to keep on talking till I can't go on?" Mm-hmm. I really I really love that. That's, that's McCartney. Yeah, that's just. That's just something people have been through. Just that talking it to death, and it's a well, it's a they're both great songs. I to me, like I'm, you know, the Beatles say that Day Tripper is forced, but when you listen to it, you just go, "This is a great song. What a what a fantastic riff this song." And has. you also and want to sometimes say to the Beatles, "What do you know?" <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, what do you guys know about? Yeah, yeah, you know what? You made the bread, you put it out. We're making a sandwich with it. Don't tell us what it's uh, if it's tasty or not. Well, when you grew up, there were Beatles songs that you heard a lot uh-huh. on the radio, and they did, were kind of the wallpaper of your life mm-hmm. you know this was a song that i remember hearing kind of like she's a woman okay i was helping a friend we 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 uh repaired a, a jukebox he was given by his uncle and we fixed it and got it working again and we did fix all the electrical and stuff like that and we stripped it all and rewired it and everything and we it took us quite a while cleaned it all up it was just a, it was really fun and it, it was an actual jukebox it picked up the record and turned nice. it over and played it and one of the singles that his uncle gave him to play in it was day tripper uh, we can work it out, and that was the first time I'd ever heard it, <laughs> and I couldn't believe how great it was. In fact, I borrowed the single and brought it home so I could listen to it to some more, because I just couldn't believe how how what a great song it was. And yeah, that's just one of my favorite Beatle memories is is hearing that. We listened to it a lot too. This was the this was um, <laughs> this was the era we had a a hippie who lived uh, uh, behind our house. Okay, and uh, his dad had enough of that nonsense. Okay, and uh, and the kid did something, and he went, "I'm giving away your albums." And what are you going to do? I'm going to give them to that neighbor kid. And so I got the albums. Wow. And uh, and so I got a bunch of like, all not albums, but like the singles. Okay. Oh, so okay. a bunch of singles. Yeah. So uh, this is the era where I started to get my, my Beatles uh, singles and I've still got them. Wow. I might actually good. bring them to the next show. And, yes, uh, I'd like yeah. to see them. I'd yeah. love to see them actually. I have a few Beatles singles too, but, but most of mine are... My other, well, we'll talk about my other memory later. I have another single Beatles single memory. Just make sure that you remember your memory because you've been having memory problems on the show. <laughs> That's true. I have. There are no numbers involved, right? So let's just do some. I'm really worried when we're getting to revolution number nine because I know that's going to be a problem for you. Number nine. Let's do some final Beatle facts. All right. Before This we... is the uh, final Beatle fact rundown. Here we go. These are speed These facts. Are three facts. Three about speed the show. facts about the Beatles. This... Fact number one, Dave, go. This was the last. Uh, album that Norman Smith, the engineer, worked on. Why? He was promoted to be producer after this because what happened was George Martin, Ron Richards, and two other EMI staff producers, they left EMI to form their own independent production company called Air. And did that work out? Yes, very well for them. They had their own studio. They actually had two studios. They had, one, they had a studio in Montserrat, the island of Montserrat. Nice. Before it was destroyed in a volcanic uh, eruption. Ha ha. But uh, 
Yeah, so sorry by the way to anyone who was killed in the Montserrat explosion so for laughing at that. Norman Smith, uh, he went on to produce Pink Floyd. That was he produced uh, Piper of the Gates of Dawn, Saucer Full of Secrets, and Umagama. So their first, second, and fourth album. And then uh, he also uh, was kind of a one-hit wonder as Hurricane Smith. He had a song. And I can't remember the name of it. Of I wish I'd written Don't it down. Worry about it's it. so dumb of me. I should have written it down. Guys, guys, we all got access to the internet. Hurricane yeah. Smith. How hard is Hurricane it to Smith. hear that? Oh, and he also produced uh, the Pretty Things, um, kind of actually one of the first rock operas on album or kind of thematic story, like story albums, SF Sorrow. Super great album. All right. And then another fact is the Beatles, despite being... This is fact number two. This is fact number two. Two of three. Despite being... Under such time constraints, the Beatles wasted almost six hours recording... A uh, an instrumental called Twelve Bar Original. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a Stax, Booker T and the MGs kind of sounding uh, song. And originally it was like six minutes over six minutes long. And it was eventually edited down to two and a half minutes. If anyone's interested in hearing it, you can find it on YouTube. You can get the anthology album. It's on there as well. And um, so that that's another one. What do you think of it? Do you like it? It's okay. It's you don't good. think it's it'll be, you don't think it was a mistake to spend all that time? No, because. What I think, what I think it was about more than anything was they needed to blow off some steam. Mm-hmm. They were working and working and working on this album, and they just needed to have some fun. And so, what's fun? Just play something they're used to playing, you know, kind of a, a blue, you know, kind of a soul kind of song with some fun kind of uh, tone guitar stuff going on in it, tone pedal guitar work in it, and, and just have some fun for a while, you know. Don't worry about the album. Don't worry about anything. Just have a nice little decompress. Because, like you said, sometimes you have to stand back, yeah, and let it work. Take a breath. All Maybe right. if they'd spent some more time and written a different song, they could have not had not had uh, run for your life on the album. But anyway, and maybe they would have gone somewhere with their careers. <laughs> and then the final fact, last Beatle fact, is a bizarre thing. Number three, I think this is weird. Day Tripper, we can work it out. Yeah, was released the same day in the as uh, the album as Rubber Soul. Oh, doesn't that seem weird? Um, well, I mean, normally you would use your single to promote your album. But you, it's not on the album. Okay, well, here's the weird thing. Like, first of all, you would use your single yeah. to promote the album because you buy the single. Sure. Then go, oh, well, now I want to get the album, mm-hmm. which would have the single on it. But the Beatles went, none of that, yeah. as we've established. Yeah. So that doesn't help you. Yeah. So why would you want to release? I, it feels like, what would you release it? Would you release it before? Or well, would you release it after the single? To well, I would have, to me, you release it before the album comes out. Who cares then? I mean, like, the thing is, you're not going to build more excitement. And that's the point of your single, is to build more excitement. Well, it does in a way, because it, it lets people know, oh, this is a new direction the Beatles are going in. But you're going to... You thought you liked help. Listen to this stuff. But you're, Listen to what the, at doing. this point, it feels like with the Beatles, you're buying it anyway. So, well, like, you're going to the... You sh- say that, but you can't think that about yourself. It's kind of like, if you're... Well, you don't think about yourself. Like, I mean, I don't think the Beatles chose their marketing, did they? I mean, no, if this is, no, this is another thing. Record company. Like, to me, this makes sense is like, hey, hey, record stores, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to release the album and the single at the same day. Yeah. What does that mean for you? It means more money. It means <laughs> that day you're going to yeah. get people coming in. And if they buy the album, well, are they not going to buy the single? No. No, they will, probably. No, because singles sold more than albums. Oh, I got gotcha. you. And people had limited income. They no, didn't I have gotcha. credit cards or you're ATMs. You're going to go buy, so... listen, I think more people are going to buy the single. I'm yeah. not, I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. But like, when you're in to buy the single, so I'm buying the single, and then you're going to see predominantly displayed the album, yeah. and you It'll are going like, to go, "Oh man, oh man, I want that so I bad." Can't wait and you're going to go, week. and you're going to go to the the the, the listening booth. Yeah. You're going to listen to it, and you're yeah. going to, "Oh man, I wish I could afford this." Yeah, but I can only buy one thing. But then what you're going to do is you're going to go to school, yeah. and you're going to go, "I heard it. It was so good." Yeah, you know, and you're going to just spread it, spread it, spread okay. it. I mean, that's just okay. Good maybe, marketing. Maybe so. What I think it was was more a case of the fact that. 
because that that they're so squeezed for time that they they just did not have time to do a a Christmas release because you know getting it out early December is what what they want for Christmas. Right. If it comes out in November, it'll be forgotten about by the time Christmas comes. So both of them had to come out around the same time, just because they had so so run out of time. You know, it had to come out, and on the fifth of December, out it comes. Well, there's also the marketing thing that uh, they always do now, which is you want to never have one thing. You want to have at least two things, and you want to have one thing more expensive. So the the thing that's less expensive now looks really less expensive. <laughs> so that's just like Could a be. psychological thing, and you're like, oh, I got, I'll get the single, of course, you know, which which uh, you know would have been like, well, that's still kind of pricey. Oh, well, compared to the, I've got to get it. Yeah, and you get it's it. It's so different now. I mean, at that time, like we're saying, this was the second Beatles album of the year, their fourth single of the year. Nowadays, record companies want their artists to wait at least three years between records. It, you know, so different. Do now. you know what's so different and so weird to me is that uh, I bought both of those singles for like $2, basically. <laughs> like maybe three, ma- maximum $3. And like it was the album, sorry, the, uh, this, the single would have cost what, like back then five bucks for, for a single? No, not that much. How much? Three dollars? I'm not sure. Much less than that. Two dollars. It was much more affordable than than an album. Uh, you could buy a single. I can't see you buying a single for a dollar. I can't at see that, that time. At that time, at sixty five, a single for a dollar. Yeah, less than that. I'm sure. What? Like a couple of cents? It would be. What, it would be less than a dollar. Giving them to think, you? I think it would be less than a dollar. Yeah. Oh well, we will have to look that up. What I was going to say is like it's remarkable to me how uh, inflation has not blown up the prices of of things uh, compared to then. Well, it's actually le- it actually. The price of an album re- hmm. relative to to income has actually gone down what compared to what it was in the 60s. Okay. This this is something I want to look up. Maybe we'll talk about this next time. Sure. Because I'm, sure. I'm curious about that. I, I find it hard to believe that a single would have cost less than a dollar. That's... I don't know. I don't know, Dave. But I don't want to have another argument with you. <laughs> I don't want to be doing that. And I don't think we really had an argument there anyway. We had a discussion. Yeah. We had a good, solid discussion. I was enjoying it. Now, uh, if you want to hear us uh, talking more and uh, scrapping, uh, we've got another <laughs> podcast called the Sneaky Dragon Podcast. If you want to uh, get a little bit more information about this show, uh, well, we've, uh, we're on Facebook because what are we going to do? We are of the era we are in. As yes. Davis stated, we are, now. <laughs> we are now. So we have to be on Facebook. So Completely <laughs> Beatles on Facebook. We'd love you for you to join us. We put some extra material up there. Uh, SneakyDragon.com is our main website. And we also put stuff about this show up there. And you can write to us at both of those locations or go sneaky underscore dragon at uh, Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon on Twitter and you can write to us that way. Uh, you can all the ways that all you ways. normally can. There are lots of ways to communicate. And we probably got a lot of stuff wrong. Why not correct us? Why not tell us what you want sure. us to talk a little bit write about? Write a note, put it in a bottle and throw it into the ocean. We will get it. Because we're right by the ocean. We're here right in by Vancouver. the ocean. Yes. That's why we're by the ocean. They're they're quitting the postal service here in Canada. Why? Because we're all by the ocean. That's right. So it's free anyway. So no big deal. Anyway, as I say, we would lo- we would love to hear from you, and thank you for listening to our ramblings, uh, which I think are getting longer every, yeah, time. every time. I think this was about six hours. <laughs> it, we we took our six hours like they did, uh, you know. And there we go. Anything more to say, Dave? Any nope. context? Nope. Okay, I've got no subtext. Nope. And so that's it for us. I've been Ian Boothby. I've been David Dedrick. This we'll has s- been completely Beatles, and you oh, can wrap sorry. it up. Go ahead. I was just going to say we'll see you next next time with the Revolver and one of the greatest singles of all time, Paperback Writer and Rain. There we go. All right, we'll see you then. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.